This week's Talking Simpsons is brought to you by Verve. Do you like streaming classic cartoons like Doug? Anime like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Dragon Ball Super? Original cartoons like Bee and Puppycat? Even classics like Freakazoid that you won't find anywhere else? Those are all being carried by Verve. And you can get a 30-day free trial of service on Talking Simpsons if you just head to vrv.co slash WAC. Check it out. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody, and welcome to Talking Simpsons, where we look at the fine stitching on dope. I'm your host, the podcaster that couldn't slow down, Bob Mackie, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, and this podcast needs more dog. <laughs> and who is on the line? This is Nima Shirazi of Citations Needed, and the most rewarding part of being a guest on today's episode will be when you give me my money. <laughs> oh my god, no. Uh, today's episode is The Springfield Files. I went for the morning paper and I got lost. And no time for you, old man. <laughs> Today's episode aired on January 12th, 1997. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, boy, Bobby. Beloved leading men Mel Gibson and Tim Allen win the People's Choice Awards. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, my home team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, lose the AFC Championship to the eternal assholes at the New England Patriots. And King of the Hill debuts right after this episode of The Simpsons airs. What a night for television. Let's not talk about sports, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've done a King of the Hill episode for our other podcast, What a Cartoon. Yes. We both love King of the Hill. And it went on for 13 amazing seasons. I don't think it had a low point. No, not really. I, I think Mike Judge would disagree with you, and he feels like, I think it was seasons eight or nine, the ones where he worked on it the least. It was actually five and six, which I love a lot because yeah. the showrunners were sort of making fun of the characters, <laughs> and so you got some of the wackier episodes, like you find out that Hank Hill is sexually attracted to his job. Oh, yes. That's, that's what yeah. gets him off. <laughs> and all kinds of fun, weird character stuff like that. The show got a little more low-key after that, but I felt like there was never a low point, and it kind of went out when it needed to go. There's always talk of it coming back. Mm -hmm. They just need to update some of the technology that's around them, but can always comment on... Uh, they kind of have it both ways on that show because they, they are legit complaining about political correctness in many episodes, but they also are making fun of the kind of like absurdly boring suburban existence as well. It's great. And if it comes back, I hope they don't age anyone up. No. Uh, Bobby will always be a spoiled millennial. <laughs> so yes, uh, King of the Hill, everybody. I want to do a mini series of that, uh, hopefully in the future mm -hmm. in the, for our Patreon. But uh, Nima Shirazi, you're a special guest. Can you tell some of our folks at home, if they don't know who you are, who you are, where you come from, and your relationship with The Simpsons? Absolutely. Uh, so great to be here with you guys today. Thank uh, you. So thanks for Thank having you. me. Um, so again, I'm Nima Shirazi. I co-host the media criticism podcast, Citations Needed, which uh, takes a rather critical look at our media landscape and the common tropes, narratives, and stereotypes that kind of pervade 
our news, oftentimes kind of unbeknownst to us, uh, that there are these kind of longstanding narratives that really kind of thread themselves in and out of our media landscape. And we just kind of go along with them. And so uh, on, on the show, which I do with my uh, brilliant, brilliant co-host, Adam Johnson, and it's produced by uh, our amazing producer who makes us actually sound good and smart, uh, Florence <laughs> Burrow Adams, we, we kind of dissect these kind of broad stroke, like we, we, we don't do a lot of hot takey stuff uh, as we can help it. And, uh, you know, we kind of do like more topic based kind of broad stroke. This is what you're hearing about Iran and that's fucked up. Or, you know, this is why our media is really um, into white supremacy and you don't even realize it because they think they're not. I love how in the beginning of some of your episodes, you will have a bunch of news clips of, of like different networks spouting the same bullshit. It must take a lot yeah. of work to pull all of those yes. and put them together. Yeah, no, it um, surprisingly takes less work than you think, which is uh-huh. <laughs> part of the frustration. Uh, this stuff is kind of just all around us, mm-hmm. you know, and so often, oftentimes the, uh, the truth is not out there. <laughs> One thing I love about your podcast on top of the research is just how you reveal things that I never really noticed in media, but then once I... I've listened to the episode. I just see it everywhere. I think one of the best slash saddest ones was just the passive voice of police violence of just like oh, yeah. how a bullet will just fly into somebody. It's just, <laughs> yeah, you know, who's exactly. to say? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, innocent bystander killed by angry bullet that was fired <laughs> from a police officer's gun, yeah. uh, which really just absolves anyone of any sort of agency or finger moving or decision making to actually fire weapons uh, as long as they are part of a police department. Uh, yeah, no, there's 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 all sorts of stuff like that. Like even the term officer involved shooting mm-hmm. uh, is one of my favorite things. You see it all the time. It sounds like this very kind of innocuous, objective news voice kind of term for, you know, something that happens. It was an officer involved shooting when really what that means is like a cop killed a black guy uh, who didn't have a weapon. Like that's what that means. And if you actually look at that term, you look at the history of that term, you find out that it was actually created in the 1960s by the PR department of the Los Angeles Police Department. And so uh, that that kind of stuff, you know, to kind of see where that term originated from when they were tracking when their cops would uh, kill people. And then it kind of got into the media when there was a big story in 1979 about a woman in Compton who was kind of killed on her lawn by some cops. And that news story kind of made its way to the New York Times because it was a big it was a big story. And the Times at that time used the LAPD's phraseology, their mm-hmm. own construction officer involved shooting. And so when that happens in the in the New York Times, paper of record, uh, it then kind of goes out from there. And so you have passed, you know, nearly 40 years of that sort of reporting. And mm-hmm. kind of when you track it back, you realize like it comes from a pretty, pretty vile place. I'm sure in about 10 years, it'll be called a police adjacent dust up (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna go even further than that what is your history with the simpsons as as a viewer so i actually remember watching the very first episode um when it aired live uh i was upstairs uh, i'm I'm from uh new york city and so i you know grew up in an apartment building i was upstairs at a friend's house at a neighbor's house on the eighth floor i grew up on the second floor (laughs) and um we you know knew that there was going to be this new thing airing that you know had 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 some stuff on the tracy 
Chelsea Ullman show, obviously. And so I went up to to that apartment and, and we watched and really loved it. And so I have been watching The Simpsons since the very first episode. However, I then kind of uh, lost touch with The Simpsons. When I graduated from, from high school and to college, I kind of stopped watching. It was no longer a regular occurrence. So so while I've seen many, many episodes in the past, whatever that, whatever that may be, uh, maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's not 20 years, the, the initial episodes and the kind of first eight to 10 seasons are very, very near and dear to my heart. I have so many, so many favorite episodes. That is really this in- incredible prime era, obviously, as, as, as your listeners will already know and yeah. probably agree with. But <laughs> once it kind of hits uh, season eight, I was, you know, fully entrenched. I was, I was recording episodes on VHS tape when they were airing on Sunday nights, pausing at commercials and unpausing when it, when it came back and really kind of doing that on, on Sunday evenings, really always looking forward to watching The Simpsons. So being on your show and especially talking about this uh, episode today, Springfield Files makes me really, really excited because uh, <laughs> when, it, when it came out, it was instantaneously one of my very, very favorite episodes. I did want to ask everybody what their X-Files relationship is. I have barely seen it because I had a friend uh, in high school who was obsessed with The X-Files uh, and every Monday, would it air on Sundays? It was a Friday show at okay. first and then became a Sunday show. Whenever it aired on Sundays, Monday morning, I would be bored into oblivion by <laughs> a, a shot for shot retelling of the episode followed by it was so dude it was so freaky it was so freaky i couldn't sleep it was so freaky i'm like i'm 14 but nothing on tv could be that scary so i've sort of had this disdain for the show i realize people like it i think it coming back in a not so great way has sort of damaged the reputation Mm -hmm. and having a second crappy movie that no one really asked for too yeah no i i was a regular viewer of it i didn't get into the first season of it in 93 but by the second season i started watching it a lot and even to the point of like watching i had a local video store that would rent out seasons they actually would put them some episodes on vhs back then way before the dvd boom and by the point of this episode airing in the fourth season of x files i was deep deep into the show so the idea of an x files simpsons crossover was incredibly exciting to me yeah i actually um was not watching x files at this time uh or much since (laughs) but (laughs) i you know obviously knew about the show and kind of growing up at that time and being in high school when this episode aired and of course when the x files you know came on and got huge i i knew about it kind of tangentially right like it just kind of seeped into pop culture so definitely knowing about Mulder and scully and the smoking man and you know all this all this random stuff without actually having watched the show so really my introduction in earnest to the x-files is this simpsons episode <laughs> oh wow wow and i well the timing couldn't have been more perfect for this episode to happen for fox as a corporation because x-files had been their anchor friday night show they actually tried to have multiple shows on friday night it's actually funny because this episode's all about fridays but uh <laughs> anyway the x-files was the only show that would do well on friday and they tried to couple it with other weird shows like Mantis and Strange Luck and uh, D.B. Sweeney's Strange Luck. Everyone loves that. But this fourth season, they had gotten Chris Carter to just make a second show, Millennium. Oh, right. Right. And so they had moved it off of Fridays to Sunday to couple it with The Simpsons. So it would be 8 8 at 8.30, Simpsons, King of the Hill, and then X-Files at 9 o'clock to 10. So by this time, it moved in September, so it had been X-Files on 
Sundays for about five months at this point. And the show, I mean, the show was huge. The movie would be coming out within a year of this. I believe it was... I think it was 98. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So a year after this, it was David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson were like big time sex symbols, at least in the nerd yeah. communities at the time. I don't even know if it was just the nerd communities. I mean, this was this was huge at the time, I think. You know, you kind of had that, you know, friend celebrity uh, yeah. bump a few years earlier. I, I feel like in a way, Duchovny and Anderson sort of took over like the uh, Aniston mm-hmm. <laughs> Schwimmer, also like Clooney on ER. Like this was, it was a wonderful time for TV. And I, and I remember it fondly. Back when there was a monoculture for that stuff and they'd be on like sexy covers to Vanity Fair and everything. And David Duchovny, which they play great jokes on in this, yeah. he was sexualized more than most men were in leading roles like that on TV shows. I think partially because he came, he literally came from a softcore background of, of Red Shoe Tire. And he had a real life sex addiction. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Californication is just a biography of him. Uh, but the show was a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. It was now it's so funny to go back and watch it because every show now is just a linear thing. While meanwhile, X-Files then, it felt like they could only get permission from the network to be so linear. And they're like, no, no, no. Most of these have to be episodic and monster of the week. And occasionally you can tell a longer form story. Mm. Now that is totally the inverse of television today. And the X-Files was really ahead of the curve there on that. And uh, yeah, the show is created by Chris Carter, who according to some stories sounds like kind of a jerk, um, but they have nice things to say about him on the commentary. You Actually, mean that a TV show uh, creator and producer uh, is a jerk? Yeah, oh, I, it's hard to believe. Actually, there's a, there's a fun story on one of the commentaries <laughs> yeah. in which uh, Stephen Hawking was a voice actor in one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris Carter comes in and puts an X-Files hat on his head yes. and gets a picture with him. It's just like, that's kind of uh, crossing the line. That's <laughs> a guy who can't move his arms and legs, just yeah. dropping a hat on him. And forcing, who also can't like prevent you from taking a picture with him if you're yeah. fast enough, which is pretty, it's, you know, it's a very gross story. And yeah. he's the main driving force behind the newer seasons, which is oh, why people God. say they're not very good. And also, they're the worst. They are the worst. Uh, Vince Gilligan, uh, who would go on to make Breaking Bad, I think he was uh, in charge of some of the better seasons and episodes, too. They were the best. Some of his uh, his episodes were some of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like X. And also, Frank Spotnitz was uh, part of this as well. Yes. Yeah. He he was a real driving force on, too. And Glenn Morgan, who's one of the only writers who really came back for the later seasons, which in all the reviews I read, like, well, most of these episodes suck when they're written by Chris Carter, but the Glenn episodes are good. <laughs> There's a couple other good ones. Why you can't bring back the X-Files is because it is so a pre-9-11 show. It is when the conspiracies of the tech boom in the Clinton years that now after 9-11, it's just like, well, you don't believe in aliens anymore. We have different imaginations. It's the deep state, Henry. It's the deep state. Well, and that's what really fucks up the first episode of season. First off, they have to explode all the conspiracies from the first show because they're like, well, we can't count on everybody to remember all the bullshit we made up in the first nine seasons. So we just have to say, you know what? None of that was true. It's all a new thing. But the weirdest thing in the first episode is that they have an InfoWars Alex Jones type guy, except he is played by Joel McHale, which is like... He's likable for that. Yeah, exactly. And and the InfoWars guys are correct. And they're the good good guy oh no <laughs> yeah solid. bad move solid yeah that's kind of like a like a pre-2012 signaling there you know where yeah. like who is it woody harrelson is like kind of the the, the conspiracy theorist 
in that movie that oh, no one saw. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah, I forgot all about. I that remember movie. all the bad jokes about the world ending in 2012. It's yeah. too bad it didn't. I miss those years. Yeah, <laughs> uh, those were heady days. Well, but yeah, no, I th- I think that it's a really important kind of thing to point out the obsession in the 90s with both emerging tech and also aliens because you know post Cold War as a kind of singular superpower the united states really didn't have very formidable enemies and so you saw this real kind of influx of alien invasion stories and alien plot lines because what could be superior to us well it's no longer the ruskies mm-hmm. and you know it's not like we don't really have other threats and so you kind of need this otherworldly thing which then does not really play into like cold war alien stuff like from the 50s which is really a about nuclear war and Armageddon, like really making that kind of connection. It really just became about like, well, no one on earth can actually <laughs> fight us. Mm-hmm. So we have to always be fighting aliens. And the fear of our own government in, but a different kind of fear that there's, well, our, you could trust our government if it wasn't run by aliens and people who were taken over by aliens mm-hmm. and the men in black and all that. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you see that a lot more in major media during democratic administrations of the the fear of government as opposed to in in 2001 the show ended right after 9/11 and they it just wouldn't work then you couldn't have a distrust for the FBI and them searching through your secrets that the show was built upon yeah no exactly i think the the kind of consolidation of us government supremacy and like benevolent mm-hmm. uh, really came really came out of 9/11 uh, at least in terms of pop culture not that <laughs> that is correct I yes. dispute that version of history. <laughs> That's very true. But, um, but no, I think that there was this real sort of, you know, everyone needs to stay in line because because the terrorists. And so before that, in the Clinton years, there was so much messaging about corrupt government or that you can't trust the government. The government is too big. The government's doing this. The government's doing that. And you see kind of this world building going on from the right, which really suffuses even, uh, you know, supposedly liberal Hollywood or, you know, TV (laughs) kind of production. Um, But you also see it in so many other formats as well. I have this kind of long-term goal of changing my media criticism podcast, Citations Needed, into a full-fledged WWF wrestling podcast. Uh, yeah. And so, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's being met with a little bit of resistance at this <laughs> point, but I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to win out in the end. If you, uh, if you watch WWF wrestling from the nineties, from the Clinton years, you can see that Vince McMahon was so anti-Clinton <laughs> and, you know, Vince as the megalomaniacal driving force behind WWF, you know, com- completely kind of almost monopolizing wrestling uh, in the in the 80s and then 90s and then kind of had a challenge from, from Ted Turner and eventually won out and is the kind of su- su- supreme lord of wrestling at this point. But <laughs> in the 90s, there was so much work being done week after week <laughs> on uh, Raw. The, the Monday night program, yes. that it was so full of anti-Clinton messaging that he was a dope, he was lecherous, Hillary was terrible. Uh, they really, really glommed on to the uh, Monica Lewinsky story, of course, which was, you know, right around this time that, that we're talking about. And to kind of realize how this extreme anti-Clintonite message, which unlike a, you know, wrestling show, but it was so, <laughs> it was, it was so, can't miss it. If, if you watch those episodes, which I urge, 
encourage everyone to do. Um, <laughs> you cannot you cannot miss it. And then you realize that this idea of Clinton's being bad and pro corporate anti tax uh, Republicanism yeah. being good. You see what that eventually led to in gonna... 2016. And like, there's a there's a through line. Like, there's a reason why Vince McMahon's wife Linda, uh, who like ran WWF at the time, is in the fucking cabinet. Like, yep. there's a reason. Oh yeah. I was going to ask because this is the era in which the uh, anti-Semitic villain wrestler Erwin Ur- R. Scheister yes. uh, was created. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. That was a little earlier than than 97. Okay. Uh, but but yes, no. That was that it was earlier. From the same uh, place. He, he, he was um, uh, portrayed by Mike Rotunda, um, who uh, <laughs> was formerly part of the very very pro-American Wyndham and Rotunda tag team, who were eventually <laughs> beaten, lost their lost their titles to who else but the Foreign Legion of the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, uh, which makes sense. And then and then uh, Rotunda wound up being IRS or when our Scheister, which is actually a fantastic character, <laughs> yeah. um, I... uh, you know, getting getting booed, the you know bad guy heel all over the country for saying like pay your taxes and, you know everyone <laughs> you all belong cheers. in jail actually that anti-clinton thing not to turn this all into wrestling i'm talk. i'm looking at my watch okay but the last thing that anti-clinton thing you mentioned i forgot that at wrestlemania 14 jennifer flowers is there oh like my she God. interviews the rock that was who was oh, yeah. in 19 that was 1998 who was still even booking jennifer flowers on stuff in 1998 apparently Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that is precisely what was what was man. happening. No, there was tons of Ken Starr talk, uh, Paula Jones, um, old kind of legend uh, wrestler Bob Backlund had a had this like ridiculous storyline where he was running for oh for president God, in, yeah. in the mid nineties, and so they actually got like a Clinton impersonator to be at a lot of events <laughs> and like have his arms draped over like these you know kind of like ring rat oh girls. Oh. Um, to, to really hammer home how like Clinton is bad and then everything opposed to Clinton is good. Well, fortunately, we don't have any more like womenizing politicians. No, yeah, it never happened. Thankfully, that. that ended. It's all but over. But okay, now the it's time. Files. Nope, yeah. Now it's time for the most exciting part of the show: oh. production information, everybody. Yes. So you're going to hear a bit of the same story when we get to the Sherry Bobbins episode in a few weeks. But this episode was run by Algie and Mike Reese. They wrote on the first four seasons of the show, and then they ran seasons three and four. And Fox wanted more episodes. And their initial idea was make four clip shows every year. Mm. Uh, For a while, they're making one every year, and they hated them, and they were bad. So their solution for seasons eight and nine were to get old showrunners to come back and make episodes with a small staff, Mm -hmm. separate from the current showrunners of the time. Yeah, while the current showrunners made 22 episodes, as usual, they still would have 25 to 26 episode-long seasons because of the satellite staffs. And Al Gina, Mike Reese at the time were technically under contract to Disney to make shows, but they got uh, an exception to make two Simpsons episodes at the same time, which production-wise, two on The Simpsons, it kind of meant they just needed to shepherd a show through writing two animators who were not a satellite team. It was just the animators who worked with The Simpsons. They'd go through that for a few, for the nine months it would take, and Algina Mike Reese would put the finishing touches on it, as they also did in season six with the Critic episode and Round Springfield. But those were the entire Critic writing staff. These episodes... <laughs> (laughs) Episodes are for Sherry Bobbins and the Springfield Files. It is four 
writers, uh, Al Jean, Mike Reese, David Stern, and Reed Harrison. We actually we actually interviewed Reed Harrison last year for our Patreon. That's on our Patreon right mm-hmm. now, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. It was a great chat. But I think because of that, they don't have the machinery of the Simpsons writing team at this era. Like the machinery of like 15 to 16 writers that will punch up everything and make everything better. So there are a few issues with this in the Sherry Bobbins episode. And I will say what they have in common is they each have a speed reference, a reference yep. to the movie Speed. They each, they each have a song from Hair. Mm-hmm. And they each have a joke uh, that's a parody of the No Fat Chicks t-shirt. Yeah. So well, they, they it, it's easy to see with four writers how you could all be on the same page about certain things. Mm-hmm. And each episode sort of ends with the second act, and the third act is like kind of a shrug. <laughs> uh, by their own admission, by the show's own admission, it's just like, well, what do we do now? Yeah. And they're both high concept, direct parodies of another piece of media, X Files and Mary Poppins. They say on the commentary that they had sat on this one for a couple years. I think that the. It was um, a ni- well, and then it was like a 95 ish type or 94 thing, which which would definitely fit with the many references to things from 1995 or 1994, like Waterworld, the Budweiser Frogs, Red Dog Beer, and Speed, which... By and 19- the Alien Autopsy. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah, I was uh, a little, I was listening to... Uh, so Everything's Coming Up Simpsons did an episode on this, and Mike Reese sits in on it. He tells a story about the pitching of this. They pitched it earlier, but no one wanted to do it. Same with Sherry Bobbins. And Al Jean <laughs> says he got the idea because during a writer's retreat, he was in the bathroom, he saw a TV guide with the X-Files on it, and he's like, that's an idea for an episode. And I tried to find that TV guide. I believe it was from 1995. So wow. probably the previous year they tried to pitch this and nobody wanted it. But when it was time for more episodes, yes, we'll take your idea. And also the X-Files is huge and we can use this to help launch King of the Hill. So it was uh, it was good for everybody involved. Yeah, no, and I think good for good for the viewers because honestly, um, whatever issues there may be in this, in this episode, and I'm sure we will dissect those piece by piece, <laughs> it still winds up being a phenomenal, a phenomenal show. Oh, yeah. It is hysterical hysterical from top to bottom so you you know what even with the stripped down staff they nailed it I totally agree. I mean, it is a very, very funny episode with lots of memorable jokes, but compared to the tone of season seven and eight, it's very off in that season seven and eight are very about like a solid through line and a solid plot construction from beginning to end. And this, they always make jokes about like, well, the story is over. Leonard Nimoy left. The X-Files people have left the show. What do we do well, now? And it's also it's also so reference heavy. I oh, mean, yeah. it's like they can't get through two sentences without like a cutaway or like a a reference to some other piece of pop culture. It's actually remarkable how yeah. much there is in this one show. Yeah, and Al Jean and Mike Reese are sort of fresh off the critic, and they came up uh, writing parodies for uh, National Lampoon and Harvard Lampoon, so mm-hmm. they are very much of the parody mindsets. Yeah, yeah, I think I, it's weird that it's in the middle of season eight, so you kind of can't not compare it, but totally this would be completely fitting in season four. If you saw this in season four, you wouldn't bat an eyelash at it in tone-wise, because it has just as many scenes of them watching TV and wild, crazy crazy things and Leonard Nimoy who was also in season four yeah. but seeing it next to it as we're digging deep into Oakley and Weinstein it does make the it contrasts it much stronger than it did when I first viewed it yeah I find I have to look up much fewer references uh, with Oakley and Weinstein stuff <laughs> than I do with Merkin's and Gina Reese's episodes mm-hmm. that's not a problem it's just they they like references and parodies more than Oakley and Weinstein did well I, I was also thinking when I was when I was uh, kind of reviewing this this episode knowing that I was going to come on today just kind of 
almost how how dated the references are. Like I still get them because I was I was 16 when this when this came out. <laughs> so like I re- I remember I remember all those references. Um, you know, like the the Budweiser frogs, right? But I, I can't imagine new viewers or even viewers who started watching 10 years after this episode <laughs> aired, like they would probably miss most of this stuff. One thing lost to time is the uh, the then new blue M and M, which was a yes. then new color. People voted into the bag to get rid of tan. <laughs> like we don't need two kinds of brown M and M's, people. I get it. I yeah. Well, we'll we'll get to that one too. But yeah, this I think the references. I couldn't. I had to remind myself a couple times to like, yeah, Red Dog beer. My dad drank that. I think that was one of his one of his favorites. It was the era of the dry beer, and I don't think I've ever had dry beer. I don't know what that means. Mm. Even like what is it? What makes it dry? I don't know. Well, I don't know, but I but I was always very in favor of Bud Dry uh, <laughs> during the Bud Bowl. So, you know, I usually supported straight up Bud. That was that was my flag. I, guess, I was waving in the Bud Bowl. I guess the advertising for Bud Dry told you to not ask questions. Yeah, like why ask true. why? It's like well, yeah, what, why is, what is dry beer? <laughs> I want answers. Damn it! <laughs> I'm sorry, Nima. Just drink our product. Yeah, just do it. The Simpsons will be right back. Whether you're a fan of TGIF or the Saturday Night CBS Craparama, we hope you're enjoying this week's episode of Talking Simpsons. We especially want to thank our guests, Nima Shirazi, and we said it a bunch and I'll say it again. Citations Needed is a great podcast he co-hosts with Adam Johnson. It's one of me and Bob's favorite political podcasts out there. Please check out Citations Needed. They even have a Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, that's what supports this show as well. We're able to get guests like Nima Shirazi and so many other cool folks because of your support on Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, making us able to do this as a full-time job. But it's more than just that. If you support us for $5 a month at Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, you'll get access to so many things. You'll get this podcast a week ahead of time and ad-free. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon. If you sign up at Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons $5 a month. You'll get access to that a week ahead of time and ad-free, where you can be listening to us do the Talking Simpsons treatment to King of the Hill, Batman the Animated Series, Steven Universe, Cowboy Bebop, and tons more. And at the $10 a month level, you'll get access to the premium video me and Bob do each month and all the previous ones before it, such as our commentary into all of the original Simpsons shorts that aired on Tracy Ullman. Check out all of those at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. This podcast is also brought to you by Verve. The streaming service Verve is pretty great, and you can get a 30-day free trial of it if you sign up at vrv.co slash WAC. That's verve.co slash WAC. If you sign up there, you can get a 30-day free trial of the service that gets you access to so many different streaming shows, including the anime of Crunchyroll, exclusives like Freakazoid, and 90s classics from Nick Splat. Those classics and many others are available at Verve, and you can get a free 30-day trial of the expansive service if you sign up at verve.co slash WAC. Now keep watching the skis, I mean skies.
Well, so this episode starts out with the returning R.I.P. Well, I guess I do have to play the death jingle here since That's he's right. the first one talking. Uh, but with Leonard Nimoy. Death stalks you at every turn. Ah, there it is, death. So this opening is a parody of the 1977 to 1982 series In Search Of, and I believe I talked about this on some other podcast, and I don't remember when, so I'll go over it again really quick. It was sort of the unsolved mysteries for kids of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like, we had unsolved mysteries, they had In Search Of. And it was very much like the stories about Bigfoot and ghosts and UFOs and things like that. And I watched a bit of it on YouTube, and even on the commentary, they point this out. Like, Leonard Nimoy is not sitting at a desk in the it's intro true. to In Search Of. He is, like, on sort of a Steve Brule uh, kind of... <laughs> of set like uh, with a black background and like little video plates behind him or whatever. Those seem like easy days for Nimoy. They filmed them all in one day yeah. and he's just like, okay, now it's uh, Bigfoot, Leonard. Okay. And I think yeah, uh, will do. Well, and, and he actually wound up uh, picking up hosting duties uh, after Rod Serling, who is the oh. who's the initial host, uh, hosted like three one-hour specials, I ah, think, that, okay. then they, that then they turned into In Search Of and they got Nimoy for it. And I think them getting the set wrong is just a product of pre-internet research because mm. it was just like, well, where where was Nimoy sitting during this? <laughs> well, but now you can just pull up an episode on YouTube and you're like, okay, that, that's what the show looks like. I think, too, that was a little Criswell from Plan 9 of the yeah. sc- of a guy sitting at the desk to introduce something and they just kind of conflated all of them together. But uh, let's hear Leonard talk us into Friday. Hello, I'm Leonard Nimoy. The following tale of alien encounters is true, and by true, I mean false. Hmm. It's all lies, but they're entertaining lies, and in the end, isn't that the real truth? The answer is no. (laughs) Our story begins on a Friday morning in a little town called Springfield. TGIF, guys, I'm off to Moe's. But Homer, it's ten in the morning. Don't worry, I have a plan. I saw this in a movie about a bus that had to speed around the city, keeping its speed over 50. And if its speed dropped, it would explode. I think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down. <laughs> that's a great that's a great little joke right I there. Love yeah, that. no, yeah. that um opening is actually has long kind of maintained itself, I think, at the very top of my favorite Simpson episode beginnings. I actually wound up having having the Nimoy intro as my outgoing answering machine message wow. for a period of time. When that's I was great. in college, apparently I, I didn't expect any girls to call. Uh, at that time. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I have always loved that so much. It definitely has this kind of Criswell plan nine uh this is based on test a secret testimony uh it also has that like in search of i think part of the intro for in search of was like this is based on theory and conjecture <laughs> and like so they really kind of run with that and then the music that they use is is almost exactly the in search of intro music it is so it's so perfect and that's a show that i actually t- didn't know at the time but kind of have since revisited in light of this episode and it just furthers my love of the way that they that they open this the you know and by true i mean that's that's so amazing and then just the 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 wrap-up of of, and isn't that the real (laughs) i i do like the uh the book device which they made up that's not part of in search of Mm. but i like the little like sort of woodcut of homer drawing and i like i enjoy the set piece of like what are all the characters doing on friday like what is friday like for springfield it's a really smart you know there's a lot of first act things that have nothing to do with the rest of the episode gags and this is one of my favorites that it's just what's 
spring, Friday around Springfield. Oh, the last thing about In Search of I want to say, though, is that I would think that Nimoy had some fun at saying, no, this is all lies. Uh-huh. This isn't true. Because on the show, he kind of had to act like he believed it, even though he probably didn't. He's just like, well, who is to say about aliens or Sasquatch, <laughs> right. perhaps? Actually, I have a clip of him talking about UFOs from an Ooh. In Search of episode right here. On June 24th, 1947, an Idaho businessman named Kenneth Arnold was flying his private plane near Washington's Mount Rainier. He saw nine disc-like objects moving rapidly along the horizon. Arnold said they moved erratically, like saucers skipped across a pond. Flying saucer thus became part of our language. After the Mount Rainier sighting, unidentified flying objects were reported all over the country. An astonishing number of them. Hypothetic lowlifes? No, he, he has another funny bit in there where he actually says, there is an interesting reason why all these rural areas reported more than others. And I was like, well, yeah, because they have nothing going on, right? And he's Alcohol like, poisoning? Yeah. But no, he said the reason was because there's clearer skies and it's easier to see things at night. Ah, clever. Nice. No yeah. lights. More at, time to see aliens. And at the end of it, he basically demands that the government do more work <laughs> into researching aliens. Wow. That they're not, they're too incurious. It's, it's fun. I miss those kind of conspiracy theories. Like the kids today should be seeing stuff like that in Unsolved Mysteries instead of all of the suggested YouTube conspiracy theory videos they're getting. I have to say, Henry. I certainly agree. And and <laughs> actually to to piggyback on that, actually this past summer in July, I they they've rebooted in search of, except now. Now it's oh. hosted by who else? Zachary Quinto, our of new course, Spock. New Spock. So it's oh, wow. like only only Spock <laughs> is allowed to host the show. And the very first episode that they ran was obviously about aliens. I saw that it had a like an eight episode reboot in 2002. Oh. I don't even know when or where, but it existed. Uh, you know, or did it? <laughs> that Quinto Spock. That reminds me that they just cast a new Spock, a new new Spock for the Discovery show, and that just kind of disappoints me because I feel like, look, Zachary Quinto, he should have the career he wants to have. But if you get cast as Spock, that is your job for life, and no one else should play Spock but you. That, you should be uh, chained to Spock, exactly. And then you write a book called "I Am Not Spock." But Henry, I'm surprised we didn't hear discontinuity alert from you because i was about oh to. man all uh, right but yeah uh, in the surveillance footage that they loop it's uh, clearly they're all in the 70s but yeah. in the seasons that Algina and mike reese ran it was clear that bart was born in 1981 or 1982 and that's when homer started working yep. at the plant exactly. and if you move the timeline ahead with the seasons it would, it would only be, be later, later not, so yeah i'm up ups- i'm furious homer would not have worked there in 1978 not only that but also vhs ace surveillance tech wouldn't have been <laughs> as regular then i'm not saying they didn't have it but homer wouldn't have had his access to it i'm just i i get it i think they wanted to just have a more specific date and it's fine signifiers but they could have had him just wearing like a frankie says relax shirt or whatever they like the same gags are there i it just it does annoy me as the continuity freak uh, on here i knew you i knew it would get <laughs> i knew it would get to you yes it no I, th- I think that that's a really good thing to uh, point out i mean i was thinking the same thing but at the same time you know who's to say that Lenny and Carl did not dress like that 
in the early 80s, right? That's I mean, true, you know, maybe yeah. they were just really, really groovy. The 70s <laughs> sort of lingered into the 80s for like three or four years. So perhaps, mm-hmm. I mean, Happy Days was on until 83. Wasn't one of them wearing a sit-on-it t-shirt? Uh, sit-on-it, yeah. yeah. Homer, Homer is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that speed gag, uh, that was actually what led to me reaching out to Reed Harrison to interview him because he retweeted a fan-made t-shirt for speed that had the speed poster, but it had the bus that wouldn't slow down on it. And he retweeted like, boy, it's weird to see the internet take this <laughs> joke I made in 1996. That's what led me to reach out to him. But he, he uh, Reed was pretty clear on this, that he was a uh, new writer to the staff. And so he was given a pretty clear outline of what they wanted. So he didn't add a ton of things. And then some of the stuff he added in his draft just got rewritten anyway. Mm-hmm. And now he's writing for the great new series, Disenchantment. Yeah. Matt Groening's Disenchantment. But I, but I think he's also living in, is he living in France? Ty, he moved back to LA for Disenchantment, oh, yeah. but he mostly lives in France now. I, at least that's what he told us. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. He's uh, like, don't look. As long as there are no follow-up yeah. questions. I would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but other people have Friday plans in Springfield. So, another Friday is upon us. What will you be doing, Smithers? Something gay, no doubt. What? What? You know, lighthearted, <laughs> fancy-free. Mothers, lock up your daughters. Smithers is on the town. <laughs> exactly, sir. <laughs> That uh, it's a trailing well, it's an laughter. easy gay joke with yeah. Smithers, but that trailing his the acting on Harry Shearer really makes that joke there. In all the years they could have done this joke, this is the first time they've ever done a gay equals happy mm, confusion joke. To an old joke. man, yeah. who would say it. Yeah, I did like that. It's pretty funny. But just his like, what? What? Like you know I'm what? gay. Yeah, <laughs> I have to his say, reading of what is is amazing. <laughs> we we all love tangents on this show, and this reminds me of a of a scene <laughs> they cut from Back to the Future in which uh, Marty McFly is asking Doc Brown, like, if I kiss my mom, won't that make me gay? What? And uh, Doc wow. Brown's like, why would you be happy, Marty? And then, <laughs> and then, it's, then it was a joke. But I'm, I'm, that kind of makes Marty an uglier character. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm they like, cut that out. Yeah. Uh, I'm stealing this joke from Eugene Merman, but in a similar Michael J. Fox movie, there's the scene in uh, Teen Wolf, there's a scene where he's coming out to his friend, his cool friend that he's a werewolf. Yeah. And then his friend says, oh, I thought you were going to call me a slur. I thought you were going to tell me yeah. you're a slur. And then Eugene Merman's joke was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not gay. I'm a magical creature. <laughs> I'm an evil be. demon. <laughs> <laughs> then we head to the arcade, which... This is a critic joke. These are all critic Yeah, yet. Yes, they very... I, I, that's, that is one of the weirdest things in this episode, that they want it to be like, oh, an alien. And that's too weird for this. But in this episode, Donkey Kong exists in this world. A Jasper can turn into a werewolf if he takes the wrong pills. Yeah. On it's, so it's Springfield is a little odder than usual in this episode. Yeah, anyway. this and Sherry Bobbins, like magical things can happen. Yes, yeah. Sorry, Donkey Kong. You're just not a draw anymore. <laughs> hey, he's still got it. <laughs> 38, 39... 40 quarters. This better be good. Game over. Please deposit 40 quarters. <laughs> what a rip! 
<laughs> that was a pretty good Kevin Costner by Dan Castellaneta. I love the Costner. Who 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 did it? Uh, Dan Castellaneta, the voice of Homer. That has to be so him. Yeah. yeah. Depo- it's just empty. It's like, please deposit 40 quarters. <laughs> uh, later, they'll do an episode where they go to like a Best Buy and Waterworld is playing and Lisa activates the DVD commentary and it's a, it's a video of Kevin Costner going, I'm so sorry. I'm yeah. very sorry. <laughs> I think it's Hank Azaria on that one, not oh. to Castellaneta. It could, it's it could not be the, good. It could also be The Postman. I don't know if they were I making fun of that movie. I think it was The Postman. Yeah. I think it was The Postman. I think by then they knew it's like a bit more recent Kevin Costner bombs to make fun of than Waterworld. But we brought this up before. There was still the Waterworld uh, stage show, sea it's show, true, water yeah. show at uh, Universal Studios. If I may bring it back to pro wrestling again. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, actually, well, there is this indie pro wrestler who, well, he's just never wrestled in WWE, but Christopher Daniels, he is currently also a stunt performer. He's like the lead villain in the Waterworld show on top of being a pro wow. wrestler. Amazing. It's just so <laughs> weird. A hero. <laughs> It's just so weird to see all of this modern IP like Minions and Transformers and then be brought back to 1995 with the giant Waterworld gates. You know, we talked about this just on another episode, too. <laughs> I know. It just it stuck in my mind. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be. Well, that just shows you the strength of it as a stunt show, that it's so good it has outlived the Waterworld IP or any mocking of Waterworld. Like, to show you how old this joke is about Waterworld, even for The Simpsons, two years before on Radioactive Man, they were doing jokes oh, about right. Waterworld going over yeah. budget. Like that's how that's how old this joke is in ninety in early ninety seven even. Hey, you know when it works, keep it. Yeah, I well now Waterworld is so uh, it's I, I think it's budget is quaint now. Like I think that because I think like Infinity War was literally like a billion dollar movie. Yeah, like, cost. Oh yeah, no, I think like when Sideways came out, like the one with Paul Giamatti about wine, I think that cost about fifteen trillion dollars. So like <laughs> things have changed. Then we check in on Homer and the kids on their Friday night plans. Bad dog. Bad cat. Show, show. All right, it's time for ABC's TGIF lineup. Lise, when you get a little older, you'll learn that Friday's just another day between NBC's Messy Thursday and CBS's Saturday Night Crap-A-Rama. <laughs> another Duff, Homer? Nah, it's Friday night, Mo. I want to try something special. Ah, uh, sure, sure. Ah, uh, here you go. Doof from Sweden. <laughs> go! <laughs> Wait a minute. This is Duff. Yeah, <laughs> you got me, didn't you? All right, here you go. Red tick beer. Hmm. <laughs> Old, refreshing, and something I can't quite put my finger on. Hmm. <laughs> Needs more dog. No, that uh, that needs more dog. One of my favorite. That might be my line of the episode. <laughs> it does remind me of dinner dog. It is dinner dog. <laughs> well, uh, well. So the CBS Craparama, in case you wondered what was on at that time, no good. Uh, it was Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman, Touched oh, by yeah. an Angel, and Walker, Texas Ranger. That was before CBS just dominated every network with yes. their bland. I mean, that those shows were kind of bland, but they really yeah. they perfected bland. <laughs> well, I mean, I got to point out here. I think right that I guess Bart 
does not share Homer's affinity for Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. That's true. That's a special night for Homer yeah. at large. More uh, of a mommy and daddy experience. I mean, that is that is Dr. Quinn. Well, I mean, all those shows, Dr. Quinn, Touched by an Angel, and Walker, Texas Ranger, they are similar in that they star people who used to be movie stars who would be remembered as movie stars to older people. Yeah, that's right. So it was a real touchstone for the aging at the t- in CBS it's, time. It's like those magazines you see at the grocery store for old people like this guy's still alive <laughs> he's doing it and i have a lot of really fond memories of tgif i think oh my yes by the time i was maybe 11 i realized like oh all these shows are bad but they were i was still addicted to them and just sort of making fun of them in my head as a mystery science theater fan <laughs> 97 i was on the internet and i'm like i had better things to do but i was watching you know family matters step by step full house all of the other like one season losers they made yeah i had multiple sleepovers where just like bart and lisa i parked myself in front of the tv on t- uh, friday night of like tgif time and then and then i would stick around for 2020 to hear oh, john yeah. stossel tell it like it is and i'd be like i'm getting smarter <laughs> i'm so smart <laughs> yeah no i actually have very few memories of watching tgif i was thinking about this i was like oh right that was huge like family matters was huge and obviously urkel was like this you know pop culture touchstone but i definitely was not watching that every mm. friday night at the time <laughs> then again i might be uh, a little older than you guys so maybe i was already out on the town <laughs> <laughs> i had pretty much given up with it by 97 i knew it was bad by then and now it's whenever they bring one of those shows back i'm just like no we we all remember it but it wasn't good like it's <laughs> not and and yet yeah fuller house got to come back and for two seasons now i saw that and i'm like whoa they brought this back and made the show horny like yes, just like yeah. look at all these boobs <laughs> they've all they all got they've all got like low cut like shirts on all the time yeah, yeah i mean that was not the appeal of the original show <laughs> no no it's not i mean celebrate your bodies fine but it just feels weird to put that on full house <laughs> yeah i mean i would have much rather celebrating dave coulier's body at this point yeah <laughs> and what's that woodchuck puppet up to yeah mm-hmm. uh so red tick beer that is obviously a parody of the red dog beer which i did not know until looking this up now that obviously it wasn't a new beer company it was it was a second brand from miller that miller was like yeah the miller brand means a certain thing and we want to if we want to sell a premium beer at a higher price it can't say miller on it people won't think that so then they make up red dog which had ads that with the phrase you are your own dog Mm, good (laughs) it was a real rebel of a dog who he wasn't exactly spuds mckenzie he was more laid back red bulldog who was just like hey i chill out and i just drink beer be I, like me. I remember a lot of commercials of the dog like walking around and talking about how he's independent yep. and how he's, you know, unique and a dog. Whistling at poodles. Yeah. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Whoa, boy. Yeah. Not cool. Uh, you are your own dog is or not as ca- so cool. Yeah. Or the coolest. <laughs> the coolest dog. Cat calling. Uh, Try it today. I I like, uh, I more prefer the red tick beer. Suck one dry. It's, uh, it's a better expression. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think too, red dog was introduced because there was kind of the emerging microbrew market in the mid-90s. And so it was kind of Miller like, hey, this is sort of a microbrew. It tastes different. Mm. It disappeared uh, in the early 2000s, but apparently it sort of made a comeback in 2005. I think if you go to a liquor store, you might be able to it's find like it. like how Zima came back? Yes. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was actually just about to say that at, at this time, I actually don't recall ever sort of sneaking out and drinking Red Dog beer, but I definitely remember consuming copious 
amounts of Zima and Bartles and James wine coolers, mm. uh, which apparently I uh, and my friends were able to buy at bodegas in New York City um, at the time. Uh, but maybe they weren't carrying Red Dog or they only had Rolling Rock as their kind of sole bad beer. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I've to date ever had a Red Dog beer. Yeah, like Bartles and James and Zima and Mike's Heart Lemonade are your real intro to drinking uh, They're made class. for underage drinking. Yeah. That's that's who they're really selling. Mm, t- it tastes to. like candy. <laughs> and hey, I, I'm fine with that. As Bar, as Homer says, it's for teenagers with fake IDs. That's it's exactly. fine. So Homer gets super drunk. Boris Yeltsin drunk. Which uh, you know, I'm so sick of Vladimir Putin jokes. Like I miss Boris Yeltsin drunk jokes. It, they bring me back to a nicer time. And you get a little, to, more- yeah, a kinder, gentler time. Exactly. For sure. At least, at the very least, like I'll prefer a drunk joke to uh, a your gay joke. Ugh. <laughs> but uh, so Homer heads out on the town. We get uh, also get a psycho theme reference, like as, as if there aren't enough musical movie <laughs> references in this. You also get the psycho. Theme. I swear to God, there's a similar thing in the Mel Brooks movie High Anxiety. Yeah, I didn't I have time to look right. it up. Yeah, I think you're yeah, right. Yeah. You know, the diet gag sign is it's simple but effective. I the double scream is pretty good there too. <laughs> and I like in the psycho music scene that they went to the effort to record just a violin playing. It. I like how that one player is just walking. <laughs> off into the spooky just woods just walks off <laughs> into <laughs> the woods is really great I, I i also should point out and i think we'll probably get to get to die and die at scream but in terms of kind of in show references you know this this r- reminded me of also one of my very favorite episodes the the cape fear episode um and the kind of die diet gag oh man you're oh, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> diet cola diet ice cream or something like that she's clipping coupons yeah, she's yeah. Clipping coupon. i'm going to get you some ice cream at the store <laughs> as i say got this coupon and that was another gene and reese gene, i mean this episode's on trial now <laughs> gene and reese i mean these are all good things i bring I, it up out of love I, I i actually there's two jokes later in this that i'm like this is a not stealing from yourself but a heightening of a joke done before and we were talking before the show i really feel like they were not in a great place maybe personally because the critic just got canceled twice mm-hmm. they were in the middle of a terrible deal with disney mm-hmm. all algae wanted to do was work on the simpsons again and they were basically doing this on top of their full time job what producing Teen Angel yeah or starting Teen Angel I should have mentioned that we were talking about TGIF in six months so at the time this aired they must have been working on the pilot for Teen Uh, Angel because the show began in September so so they're making fun of TGIF while making a TGIF show yes a very short lived one that did share Simpsons guest voices including Marsha Wallace Marsha Wallace is a regular on it she was great well yeah so we get the diet scream and then Homer has an alien encounter Yeah! <laughs> I love him dotting the eye. The the yeah, extra the little jump. The extra effort on that jump to dot the the exclamation, exclamation point, point yeah. is is wonderful. It really makes the joke too. And I have to ask you guys: Did you guess the twist uh, no. just by hearing Harry Shearer? I know I didn't. I did not. Definitely not. You can hear you can hear Burns's voice just a tiny bit in there, which that's the skill of Harry Shearer as a voice performer. I do love on the commentary they will bring up at the end. They're like, "Boy, that's a real cheat that you just have to." 
flash a flashlight on him and the green glow goes away and it <laughs> obviously burns. But it's a really good mystery, actually. Like, it's then the design on the character, it works that it would be burns with the shape he has, but it's also specifically an alien for them. And the type of alien that you would see in, like, they drew into the credits of an episode of X-Files mm, right. as well. Yeah. When they come back from break, we get to see that no one believes Homer. Marge, everyone is rightly reacting that he is drunk. Though it's also funny that this came written by a different writing staff, but this comes just months after Citizen Kang. You're right. With a very similar moment in it, too. I don't think they were talking to each other no, about no, this no, stuff. No. But uh, yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. Citizen Kang also is Homer having actually met aliens and then t- not believed because he smells like booze. Sure thing, Rummy. <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> not, uh, but, uh, but this time, no one believes Homer for legitimate reasons. Dad, according to Junior Skeptic Magazine, the chances are 175 million to one of another form of life actually coming in contact with ours. So? It's just that the people who claim they've seen aliens are always pathetic lowlifes with boring jobs. Oh, and you, Dad? (laughs) No. (laughs) I am the thing from Uranus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. It's Bart. I can't believe it. I'm being mocked by my own children on my birthday. It's your birthday? Yes. Remember, it's the same day as the dogs. Santa's little helper, it's your birthday? Ooh, we gotta get you a present. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We love you, boy. (laughs) Good doggy. Good doggy. Lousy, lovable dog. (laughs) If, if I could ruin a really funny joke, uh, yeah, right, how, how did yeah. they know his birthday? They adopted him on Christmas. Yep. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe they it's Christmas through. Day. Oh my God! So much is happening in the show. Uh, I've been dating. They followed yeah. through with the uh, with the owner later. I think yeah. they gave him a call. Well, I know with well with my childhood pets, we didn't know when they were born. We just adopted them. We we adopted. Don't shop, folks. But so with my cats, we we kind of just guess. We're like, well, they were kind of four months old when we got them. So let's just. Pick Pick a day in April and call that the the pet's birthday. Yeah, my I know my bird hatched in July, so I just picked a day and that's his birthday. And July fourth, yes, right? Uh, July twenty seventh. I don't uh, know why, uh, but he gets presents. <laughs> oh, Aww, that's very sweet. <laughs> Lousy, lovable bird. <laughs> now, I I like Homer's distaste for that dog too. That he's just he, but he admits he's lovable. And well, then Homer explaining his events with the aliens to other people again pedantically. I must say, like one, he was not probed. By them, so that joke doesn't work when he thinks he was probed because we saw his alien encounter lasted eight seconds. And then, secondly, (laughs) when he's telling Wiggum that he shows up every Friday night, oh, yeah, he can't possibly know that because he only saw him on one Friday. (laughs) But he's elaborating, see, that it's a tall trail, it it is gaining as it it goes, it gains different components. This is how myth making works. So, actually, I was thinking that too, and I and I have come to the conclusion that obviously, when you're retelling this kind of encounter you're going to add in more specific details to kind of bring the story more energy more life you're going to make it fuller and so homer simpson of you know out of anyone is certainly going to do that from the very beginning also, he had 10 <laughs> beers, and most of those were red tick beers, which I assume have a higher alcohol content. They have the, well, and a much higher dog content. Yes. <laughs> and, like, I am not as big as Homer or as big of an alcoholic as Homer, but after five beers, it's hard to walk, so <laughs> I'm surprised he made it home. Yeah, well, I, I'm not a regular beer drinker. I know that Red Dog had a 4.8%. Is that high or low for beer? That's not very... Like, I, most IPAs are, like, 7 to 8%. Moderate. That's sort yeah. of where it okay. tops out. Right. I'm more of 
of a cider and rosé, guys. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, the scene with Wiggum. I, is I still only drink Zima. <laughs> uh, but the scene with Homer and Wiggum is is it's cute. The alien has a sweet heavenly voice, like Urkel, and he appears every Friday night, like Urkel. <laughs> Well, your story is very compelling, Mr. Jackass. I mean, uh, Simpson. So I'll just type it up on my invisible typewriter. <laughs> you don't have to humiliate me. I just torched a building downtown, and I'm afraid I'll do it again. Oh, yeah, right. I'll just type it up on my invisible typewriter. <laughs> I have to step in to defend Urkel and the good name of Julia White. I feel like he was a great comic performer, even though his character was very annoying. And I feel Mm. like the fact that he dedicated his youth and young adult years to playing that character really uh, shows just how uh, his pure dedication to acting. Yeah, committed to his art. There you go. Yes, I was looking for a synonym. But it's funny how we talked about this before, I'm sure. But Family Matters started as let's look at the life of this black family trying to make it in this workaday world Mm. then by season four it's like okay it's about robots and potions and time travel and then by the end of the show it's like there's pirates involved and they're (laughs) shrinking uh but it's like they really retold the show to be about carl and and urkel and i think reginald vell johnson is awesome too like i think they were great they were good played against each other very well comedically they had a fantastic cast and yeah the reginald vell johnson i don't know how much he was on board for it becoming slapstick but the in the early shows like they had an episode the mom gets laid off and they're worried that they might have to get on welfare and not food stamps and they had an episode actually in an Urkel episode where someone writes the N-word on his locker and they deal with it, slurs and hate. And there's even an episode about Eddie gets racially profiled oh, by right. cops. And uh, there's a stirring scene where uh, Carl Winslow confronts other cops about being racist. I'm not saying it was like the most important show ever, but I think it was kind of interesting and good that- well, that's, that's kind of what I'm gathering from yeah. this, from uh, this uh, kind of look back. I think, uh, I think Family Matters might be the most woke show of- uh, all time more important than the simpsons no i'm just saying that like to put a show about a a black family in the middle of like the white bread tgif block Mm -hmm. was pretty daring because i remember at this time quote-unquote black uh sitcoms were sort of uh ghetto together like on nbc was Mm -hmm. like here's 227 and amen together Mm -hmm. the two shows starring black characters together you can skip them yeah, uh, yeah. I feel yeah. like that was on purpose. Well, I mean, Full House and Step by Step, they weren't doing well. Actually, Full House did try to do very special episodes that yeah. were uh, humorously terrible. Like I think fa- Family Matters stuck the landing a little better, and then they just went full robot yeah. and Urkel. <laughs> yeah, they they couldn't. For one thing, the show wouldn't have continued as that show as TGIF. It just would have been canceled if they didn't have a toyetic goofball in in Jaleel White's Urkel who could become a robot. <laughs> If needed. I guess for all the good it did, it did teach a lot of men. If you if you work at a woman oh, yeah. hard enough, you can bust through that friend zone, buddies. Yep. You wear her down. And then his, they'll marry you. His catchphrase was, I'm wearing you down. Uh, I, I prefer God any cheese. You know what? <laughs> Don't make fun of that. Cheese is delicious. <laughs> uh, but so now the X-Files comes into this episode. And, uh, Bob, you were saying before we recorded this, just like how easily excised the X-Files could be from this episode. That's yeah. the X-Files crossover episode. I'm, 
I mean, I've watched this probably, I don't know, 40 times in my life, <laughs> but because we overanalyze everything to entertain you folks out there, I just realized now that Mully and Skulder are in this episode. So Mully, Mully and Skulder, Skulder famously of the uh, F-Files, uh, you know what I'm talking about, the two characters from the X-Files are in this episode for a total of four minutes. Yeah. They are in for four minutes. And you were saying, Henry, that like none of the writers for this episode were really familiar with the show? Not or? really. And, and but yeah. it's good because it's like, I know nothing about the X-Files, but I get the jokes. Yeah, I think that's why it exactly works for me at the time. <laughs> but I kind of wish it started with them. I don't know if there was some sort of like macerating pushback, like not too much X-Files, it's still the Simpsons. Well, I have a couple guesses on that. One, in classic X-Files structure, this actually works a little bit because X-Files would usually start with yeah. a scene of the regular person who encounters something crazy. But it would just be the cold open, right? Yeah, it would be the cold open, more like a few minutes. But so Act 1 kind of functioned as a X-Files cold open, and now it transitions to them in their office. And I also think the limitedness of it could be that Al Jean had to fly up to Canada to record with them, and Mm. in between them filming a show, which is like a, you know, 20-hour days sometimes type show, that maybe they only had so much time free to record. So it could be that. And also maybe they were thinking of like, yeah, in syndication, maybe we could just cut this out and not have to pay them royalties or something. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, in this episode, all of the guest stars leave at the end of the second act. Yes. It's, it's kind of weird, but it's also very funny. It's uh, Scully and Mulder. Yeah. They get irritated and bored and Leonard Nimoy is just like, my job is done. I'm yes. leaving. So it's like, it, it's a real second act problem here. They don't know what to do in the third act. I think Leonard Nimoy might per capita have more lines than them both in this episode. He too. really does. But I think they both both get uh, good lines. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, certainly. And also also the kind of use use their characters as the vehicle to then further lampoon the FBI is really is really important. And I at the same time, I mean, the thing about this episode is it has an amazing guest guest performance by Nimoy and matched by both Duchovny and Anderson. I think they give amazing performances, albeit limited, but mm. everything they say is funny. They are both uh, great actors and have so much range, which they got to show off in some episodes of X-Files, but the standard characters of Dana and Fox are so, like, they're supposed to be flat and kind of limited. Like, Fox is spooky Mulder. He's the guy who thinks of crazy things and he kind of rants sometimes. Well, Meanwhile, Dana Scully is a super skeptic, and so she has to be like, well, Mulder, I don't think that's true. Well, Futurama taught us David Duchovny is one of our great acting robots, <laughs> next to Calculon. Uh, but but here's their introduction scene here. I just I This is one of the best jokes about the nature of X-Files in the episode. Look at this, Scully. There's been another unsubstantiated UFO sighting in the heartland of America. We've got to get there right away. Well... Gee, Mulder, there's also this report of a shipment of drugs and illegal weapons coming into New Jersey tonight. I hardly think the FBI is concerned with matters like that. (laughs) Hello, can I help you? Agents Mulder and Scully, FBI. (gasps) Is this about that pen that I took from the post office? I, I swear, I didn't know I'd put it in my purse. Then I was going to bring it back, but the dog chewed it up, and that just made things worse. Actually, we're here to see your husband about his UFO encounter. Oh, come, come in. 
some good hyperventilating. <laughs> that joke reminds me of a webcomic I see a lot that has a very similar joke where uh, <laughs> Scully is just, she's sitting at a desk and saying, it's like, oh, we just got a report that this diplomat was stabbed to death on Fifth <laughs> Avenue. Mulder throws a file on her desk and says, ever hear of the knife alien? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I love that. That's that's not so different from the show, yeah. honestly. That he... I just like the words knife alien. <laughs> the, the, together. The best episodes were when Mulder would think he found a werewolf or a vampire and then Scully would be like, no, here's the obvious explanation and he'd be proven wrong. Those are some of the best ones though. <laughs> though it was usually something even crazier than that. You start with a werewolf and then it, <laughs> then it's actually a space a, werewolf. Well, it's a dream warrior that turns into whatever your greatest fear is. Mm. And uh, it's... Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah it's kind like of... knife werewolf. <laughs> it, he is kind of a knife werewolf. Actually, if I could tell people to watch one episode of X-Files, I believe it's season six or seven episode, X-Cops is the best one I it, for one episode viewing because it was them. It's a X-Files crossover again, but with the show Cops, where mm. basically it starts like a regular episode of Cops, except a cop is killed by some crazy creature. And then as the cops crew is filming... FBI agents Mulder and Scully show up and are helping with the investigation. And those are all on Netflix, right? I, I believe. believe. Or Hulu. I, I, Sub- I, subscribe to all of them. The truth is out show there, up. folks. Look for it. You'll find it somewhere. <laughs> they take Homer down to the FBI office. They also have a J. Edgar Hoover in a dress joke thing. Which... Yeah, it's, it's pretty solid. I mean, the, the <laughs> idea that the, the idea that they would, you know, obviously kind of blow off like actual potential criminal activity is, you know, to pursue this like insane story actually is, is a really good reference to so much of what the FBI actually does. And I, you mm-hmm. know, look, I'm sure they do really important shit, whatever. But also, <laughs> yes. also they create terrorist plots that then they bust themselves and then they send out press releases about how they busted terrorist plots that they created. Yeah, so yeah. like the idea that the Simpsons were like calling out this kind of like, <laughs> all right, like let's not take these guys so seriously is I think a really amazing thing for me to actually watch now <laughs> with the this kind of godlike nobility of the FBI as it's viewed by like hashtag resistance folks who are anti-Trump yeah. for very good reason, but they're hailing people like James Comey and uh, Robert Mueller as like these amazing heroes to like take down the baddies. And it's like, no, 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 these guys ran like a, like a criminal syndicate. It was just called the FBI. Nothing but respect for my FBI director. <laughs> well, those guys might entrap Trump in the same way that they entrapped mentally challenged Arab teens. It could happen. That's the hope. That is a, no, that that was a really good episode of Citations Needed again, that one about the, in all those clips you guys played that I'd seen on the news too and just of like, oh yeah, they stopped a terrorist plot on Christmas. What a cool thing the FBI did. And then for the if you dig even slightly into it how it was not yeah. an ISIS plot. None of these things were No, ISIS. no, no, no. Then you learn that like the FBI agent drove the guy like to the place where the attack was supposed to happen because the guy didn't have a car and he also supplied him with all the bombs and he told him he should do it even when the guy was like I don't really think we should do this and then like at the end of it all they like arrest this kid on like Christmas and they're like we saved Christmas huzzah <laughs> go FBI uh, it's year like, you, know, Christmas. you don't have to worry about any Muslim terrorists from now on like because we did it except for the next time because we're also creating about a dozen other fake plots <laughs> the FBI is doing important work here with home Mr. Simpson, look at this lineup and tell us if any of these are the aliens you saw. You! <laughs>
No, I'm sorry. This makes me very angry. So the one now we're going to run a few tests. This is a simple lie detector. I'll ask you a few yes or no questions, and you just answer truthfully. Do you understand? Yes. <laughs> This is a really long reflex test. Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute, Scully. What's the point of this test? No point. I just thought he could stand to lose a little weight. His jiggling is almost hypnotic. <laughs> yes. It's like a lava lamp. <laughs> the one alien you might not recognize is Gort. Yeah. From the day uh, yes, the Earth stood still. Day the still, Earth stood still, 1951. But who knows who recognizes Alf? Isn't Alf coming back? Oh, he's getting a reboot with Paul Fusco back yeah. in the saddle. It seems that uh, Mike Reese has nothing but respect for Alf creator and voice Paul Fusco, but Al Jean probably doesn't like him very much at all. It's weird. <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell. But yeah, Mike Reese had only nice things to say about his time on Alf when we interviewed him, but it's... Alf was a real nine to five, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best part of the job. It was his favorite thing. He's like, I got home the earliest of any TV job I had. <laughs> that was his favorite thing. <laughs> they also mentioned in the commentary that that's the most like copyright damning one they did because take, for example, in Marge Be Not Proud with the video game characters, they are all slightly different. Like Sonic has kind of a purple muzzle. He's not exactly drawn, but in this one, they're like, no, just draw Alf, draw Chewbacca, draw Marvin the Martian. <laughs> they are their exact characters. Another great story of their time on Alf, I just remembered, is that they would write for Carson, and Carson would demand you write a certain number of jokes a day, and it was always too many. <laughs> and he would use, like, one of them, and they were always thinking, just ask us to write fewer jokes. <laughs> the jokes we're giving you are bad because we have to write so many. So when Alf would occasionally do an amazing Kreskin parody, they would give him the jokes that Carson rejected, and they still got them on the air. They really hated Johnny Carson, and a lot of people did. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say with Johnny Carson, there have been some stories that sounded funny in the 70s that when you hear them now, you're like, you abused women like this. They'd say like, oh, he really likes his secretaries. It's like, no, whoa, hey, that's not yeah. a laugh line. No, oh, yeah, no. Like, I think Johnny Carson would definitely be me too at this point. Like, I think that's a given. Oh, yeah. Very. I, I would believe I absolutely. Would believe well, he's that. in hell now. <laughs> On the commentary, too, they mentioned that the only they had one animator who really knew the show he's the one who drew in cigarette smoking man in the background it yeah. was not in the script so they, saw, they sort of pull out from him so i'm like oh that is a guy from the x-files <laughs> he's famous he mm-hmm. he died five times on that show and they just kept bringing him <laughs> back oh well the actor who played it he's uh he's a really good actor many of the actors on the show were canadian because they filmed it in canada <laughs> and just flew up principal stars like duchovny and anderson but uh, so the actor who played cigarette smoking man was just this canadian uh stage actor who this was his big break and he had just quit smoking in real life when they cast him to uh, smoke all the time on the show and yeah but he's still with us is there a, is there a vaping man on the new show <laughs> he's he that should be the guy to kill him off yeah that vaping congressman just got arrested Did well you see that? he's not just vaping he's also using our tax dollars to buy steam games <laughs> yeah, yeah. well this this entire uh kind of um fbi interrogation sequence is i i think fan, fantastic from start to finish and there's so many references that i was that i was noticing again sort of inter show inter simpsons 
references. I mean, yes, there's a, there, there's that amazing FBI lineup, you know, and I've been thinking like, what other aliens were they thinking should be in that? And maybe they had cut from that, if right? We, like, cause it's a, it's a great five. And yeah. I, I don't know if you guys have theories on whether that's I, paying your photos. I bet but, they, oh, oh yeah, I don't know, but I really bet they wanted to do ET, but they thought that would be too far. That's a little yeah. too, too litigious. Or, and, 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 and they let, they let Lovejoy say it later. Yeah. Oh, that's true. If they, if ET was in the lineup, it would lessen the ET joke they do that later. That is true, yeah. Same with like, I would bet Spock or a Star Trek alien would be in the lineup were Leonard Nimoy not in this like either. Like that lizard guy? The Gorn. Yeah, um. whatever. <laughs> There's a Gort. There's already a Gort. <laughs> Gort is, I think, the all-star of that lineup, though. Mm, that's the deepest, the deepest cut of all. And uh, I, so. I, I only know Gort because they put his line in, I was a, I am a huge Evil Dead fan. Oh, yeah. An Army of Darkness. Uh, it's an Army of Darkness. Yeah. Clatu Barata Nikto. Nikto. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, then what once they get once they get to the to the lie detector moment, which is an amazingly hilarious mm-hmm. um, part where you know, Homer's comprehension of even what he's supposed to be doing is 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 so low that him saying yes uh, is far too much for the machine to to at all handle and, and and it just explodes but it kind of reminds me it's it's kind of like a double reference that they then created this new thing where like from the lie detector test that Mo does oh, in the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode, which is an amazing lie detector sequence. <laughs> and that's from season seven, right? The, that's the season seven premiere. But yes. then also it has elements of the Cape Fear witness protection uh, uh, yeah. scene, yeah. right? Where it's like, you, like, do you understand that like, you are Homer Thompson? <laughs> and like, like, they kind of put those together in this very brief, but, but ultimately so funny moments where yeah. Homer's lie is just too much for the machine to <laughs> I I love the economy of it too because I'm used yeah. to longer lie detector scenes of people reading the lie detector forever and just on Homer's non-answer it explodes immediately. It's like they a just cut to the chase. Five second scene. It's great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I really love the drawing on Homer's like lava lamp like running. It's really Oh great. yeah, it's great. The He's kind never... of reflection in the glass. <laughs> He's never been fatter yes. than in that drawing it reminds actually talking <laughs> of uh, jokes that it reminds me of it reminds me of the um jiggle test or the uh, uh yeah from homer triple oh bypass? yeah yeah from yeah. the triple bypass mm-hmm. <laughs> nurse cancel my one o'clock but but it also for the for the reflex test has that kind of reference to uh to like this slow homer at the poker game from the the secrets to a successful yeah, marriage yeah, episode yeah. in season five that's totally. like his physical and mental responses to things are slower than everyone else's it's kind of strange they're using the x-files characters to make doctor jokes <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm just yeah. thinking about that that's now i mean their, their reactions are funny that's but their it, idea of what the fbi does it's what like, the fbi does <laughs> they clearly haven't really watched the show it's like yeah they give people like uh physicals right x-files right <laughs> yeah you know a funny thing with X-Files as well was Al Gina had to go up to Canada for it. Within a few years, they'd take production down to LA because David Duchovny was kept threatening to leave the show when his contract was up. So part of it was like, fine, we'll film it in LA. And that led to them doing a um, obscenely celeb-driven episode, which was just like, whatever famous person who lives in LA that likes the X-Files, we can get them in this episode about making a movie based on the X-Files. The the biggest guess was Gary Shandling, just to go into the the long history of David Duchovny on the Larry Sanders show of being oh, in love right. with Larry Sanders. Yeah. So they, it, was a, it was a cute little callback to that. So they head back to Moe's, though, to run through all the things Homer did that night. Ew. 
Uh, one fine-looking woman, lady. <laughs> if I wasn't married, I'd go out with you like that. I am so sorry. Whatever you do, don't tell Marge. God, I love her. I... Hey, a penny. So, uh, who are you guys, anyhow? Agent Smulder and Scully, FBI. FBI, huh? Uh, excuse me. All right, they're on to us. Get them back to SeaWorld. <laughs> so it says blue M&M, red M&M. They all wind up the same color in the end. Homer, why don't you show us where you went when you left the bar? So again, the uh, the blue M&M was new as of 1995. Mm. So topical <laughs> reference. I, don't, I haven't really, topical. I haven't really bought a bag of M&Ms in a while. Mm. Uh, I don't know if the blue one's still around. Probably. Yeah. Oh, no. Blue is heavily featured. I mean, they green. are. They are still. I can confirm that. I ate M&Ms yesterday. <laughs> Though it's not in any of the commercials, the blue M&M. It's usually it's red, green, yellow, orange sometimes. Orange. Yeah. yeah. I believe when they anthropomorphized the green one, she was voiced by Halle Berry initially mm, yeah i think i think you are right let me tell you i was so into the voting on m&m colors <laughs> uh thing that happened to lead to the blue m&m because i loved m&ms in fact i was i was very saddened to see at that time too that they changed up the m&m bag design it used to be so boring and that's what i loved about it just like flat white letters of m&m no gloss to it no cartoon characters it's just like Hey, it's M&M's. Just eat them. And they, they advertise... <laughs> why ask why? <laughs> yeah. And they advertise so heavily of like, buy these different M&M bags, vote for your flavor, the color that you want it to be. So the color choices that you could vote on in 1995 were purple, blue, or pink that would be replacing it. And it was partially because food dye colors became less um, toxic, so they could finally have blue M&M's. There was that urban legend about how the red M&M would shrink your penis. Mm-hmm. I remember the, that. The green M&M would turn you on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was like the horny one, clearly. <laughs> and so the blue was obviously going to be the the winning color. I For the longest time in the pre-blue world, the joke was like, why aren't there blue M&Ms? There should be blue M&Ms. Like What's the deal? Two browns. Bad idea. Yeah, the tan and brown. It was those were when uh, when I would obsessively count my M M&M and M colors and eat them slowly. I'd be like, "Well, brown and tan, they're going first. Because <laughs> also it's just chocolate underneath, so it's just a repetitive color to begin with. So that's we're the, all the same in the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's a true. You got to hear both sides of the M and M. It all becomes right? poop. Is that what he means? I guess so. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's it is a feces joke. So the, that speedo Mulder picture is one of my favorite. For jokes too. <laughs> we get it twice. Yeah, you you get to just see a flash of it in the previous scene, so it doesn't really register. But when they just hold on it long enough, you're just like, oh, he's, this is you know that uh, Fox Mulder is getting off on showing people him in a and speedo. We, we talked about M and M's for so long, I forgot if I said I, I like the killer whales even more than the pandas. And I like those it more in that yeah. room. Well, the, the, yeah, the, no, it's it, it definitely is like one more notch on Mo's, uh, you know, criminal criminal behavior in the <laughs> in the back of uh, in the back of the bar. Uh, yeah, I immediately thought of like both the pandas and also like his like deer hunter Russian roulette yeah. uh, club that he also runs at, at one point. That was that's a quite extreme joke, I think, and it's one of those many jokes where it's like this would be 
more objectionable if it wasn't a movie reference. Like, same with every Rain Man joke. You're like, well, if you were just making fun of someone with the mental issues, that wouldn't be funny. But it's like, no, it's Rain Man. It's Rain Man. We talked about this, especially with, <laughs> right. the, with the crying game. Everyone oh, got yeah. their crying game jokes uh-huh. in around this era. But the sound of that uh, of Shamu, or, well, I guess just an orca, it it adds to the comedy there, too. And the just the idea of, like, how do you even get that in his back room? That would be impossible. And that they're just uh, about... And that they're just watering him down. Down on the tank or anything. It's just that's how they're keeping it. A constant hose. That's how SeaWorld got them. (laughs) (laughs) They go into the woods, and that's when we get the. I I do love the the callback to the grandpa joke just because it does mean he has been there for four days and is near death. He should be dead if he didn't have like water to drink in the woods. And a turtle stole his teeth. He, yeah, get ye. (laughs) The slow animation on the turtle chase is pretty great. This this episode has tons. We were. We're a little negative uh, at the beginning, but this episode has so many funny jokes in it. We then get Mulder doing one of a parody of his rants, which yeah. uh, is almost and, too and actually before that, you get Jillian Anderson delivering her her best line of the of the episode about oh. how annoying this this case. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. This is the worst assignment we've ever had. Worse than the time we were attacked by the flesh eating virus. Oh, he bit me with my own teeth. No, this is much more irritating. I've seen enough, Mulder. Let's go. Yeah, okay. But somewhere out there, something is watching us. There are alien forces acting in ways we can't perceive. Are we alone in the universe? Impossible. When you consider the wonders that exist all around us. Voodoo priests of Haiti. The Tibetan numerologists of Appalachia. The unsolved mysteries of unsolved mysteries. The truth is out there. Ah. No. Who'd have thought a whale could be so heavy? She's at defense. <laughs> I really enjoy the unsolved mysteries of unsolved mysteries. <laughs> I like the idea of uh, Tibetan Appalachian numerologist. That, that <laughs> numerologist, yeah, that's yeah. a really good one. <laughs> or that, t- well, just the idea that Tibetan numerologists live in Appalachia. Or did they move there from Tibet? How did they get I, there? I missed that X Files episode. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that one happened. They, there was a flesh eating virus episode, but actually, this episode aired next to a brand new X Files called El. Mundo Gira, which is uh, Spanish for As the World Turns. And it's kind of a parody of telenovelas, but also hmm. about undocumented immigrants as well. So I, I, I haven't revisited that one. I'd, I'd like to see it again. Timely as always. Yeah. In the in the mid-90s, there there were certainly a lot of scare tactic, scary mm-hmm. stories about illegal immigrants. In quotes. I, I don't like that term either, but in quotes, illegal immigrant stories. I mean, well, I mean, Clinton engaged in that as much as anybody that is true absolutely yeah uh but and that speech though too is so funny to me because in the first episode of the return season in a not joking way david duchovny almost exact gives a very (laughs) similar speech to this one (laughs) that sums up he's having to do a speech about how he doesn't believe in the x-files stuff anymore and he gives a speech about all the crazy stuff they saw and he even says like i used to believe the truth is out there but it's not and then he also says trust no one which are the two slogans 
seconds of the no. show that he just says out loud. I'm like, no, no, this is, you cannot have the character say both of the catchphrases <laughs> in one monologue. That's wrong. That's, uh, apparently the script was written by uh, the IBM Watson computer. <laughs> and it just really, really thought it had just nailed the whole crux of the show. <laughs> they, they fed it to a bot and it produced that episode. <laughs> the third act opens with a real uh, Genery staple of like, let's let's get Marge in bed in, uh, with Homer and check in on them. It's like a nice little <laughs> yeah. conversation. Like, how's the story going so far? <laughs> yeah. Well, so once they leave, it's just done. Like, yeah. they may as well. If you took that out, then it would just go from people not believing Homer to then going back into bed and her saying, I don't believe you either. The story functions all the same, whether Mulder and Scully are there. Though it's a fun, it was a fun four minutes of the episode. <laughs> Though, ag- again, it's, it's as it was sold as an X-Files crossover, they really should be in all three acts. I don't know why it took me until this viewing to realize that or like yeah. just even think about that. But yeah, only one act. <laughs> uh, but so then we get Bart wanting to help Homer, which I always love their cute scenes together. When Bart decides to help Homer on a stupid plan, it's it's always fun. Hey, Dad. What's the word from Planet Crackpot? Oh, I suppose you're going to mock me too. Well, actually, Dad, I believe you. You do? Yes, I do. You seem so damn sure. Thank you, son. And do you think you could stop the casual swearing? Hell yes. That's my boy. Well, if you believe in me, then I'm not going to give up. I'll prove I'm right. This Friday, we're going back to the woods and we're going to find that alien. What if we don't? We'll fake it and sell it to the Fox Network. (laughs) They'll buy anything. Now, son, they do a lot of quality programming, too. (laughs) 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 Kill me. I kill me. Uh, so I believe we talked about this on the episode for Sideshow Bob's Last Gleaming. But in 1995, yeah. Fox uh, aired the special Alien Autopsy Fact or Fiction, which was just a fake oh, yeah. alien autopsy they put on the air, hosted by Jonathan Frakes. And uh, you can hear the disclaimer in that episode, but it's it's one of my favorites <laughs> where they're covering every legal base by saying, like, we don't know if this is true, but if it's true look out. And we invite you to make up your mind if this is true or not. Is it true? I don't know. Right, which we don't know. Yeah. Maybe you should watch. Listen, I, you can make your own mind. Listen, up. buddy, I just work here. All right? <laughs> Jonathan Frakes is just asking questions. That's yeah. as anyone would. Who's to say? It is so sweaty. It's I love it so much. Because well, it Obviously, it was fake. Yeah. It, was a, it was a short film made by someone in England. It was it was all fake. That's the joke that all the a lot of networks turned it down. Fox did not inherit it, <laughs> but just had Jonathan Frakes covering their ass. And he, like, actually, very similar to this too. They hire a Star Trek actor mm. to introduce something. It's he was being a modern day uh, in search, and of. he was giving a disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> these are all lies. <laughs> and then actually, I think X Files wound up referencing. Alien Autopsy, like at least twice yeah. uh, shortly thereafter, right? Boy, now yep. that you mention it, Henry, I really wonder if that Nimoy intro was them parodying the intro to Alien Autopsy. You know, I think it, that's a little bit of it, too. I bet okay. you. Yeah. No, I remember at least one episode of X-Files. It was a season finale where Mulder literally gets a corpse of an alien and films it with a camcorder, his autopsy of an alien. So I hope it was a knife alien. <laughs> He's dangerous. <laughs> he stabbed it with a knife to see its inside. Oh boy, <laughs> turning the tables on the knife alien. There's actually something really endearing, I think, about that little scene between Homer and Bart 
Uh, and especially, and I, and I say that as a, as, as a father myself, but uh. there's something, it's like the least cynical scene that yeah. maybe I can remember in the entire Simpsons catalog. Like <laughs> it doesn't come back around where Bart's like making fun of him or like he does something to fuck that up. Like it's really endearing. And like the Bart is just like, no, I actually believe you. And Homer's like, really? And he's like, yeah, you're just, you're just so sure. And it's just like, it's, it's so sweet. Yeah. And it's so almost out of step with how everyone operates on that show that I found that really wonderful. And actually it carries through to the next scene, to the camping scene. Well, we saw in, I believe it was Grandpa versus Sexual Inadequacy, Bart was a real, really credulous UFO freak in that That's episode. That's true. This falls into his, a good point too. his uh, love of the of UFOs and aliens and conspiracies as well. So but I think any kid around this age, as we all were we're just sort of obsessed with this stuff in the 90s mm-hmm. yeah right so so maybe like dr quinn was not our bag but alien conspiracies <laughs> yeah. definitely was very very much so again talk about 1995 we get a budweiser frogs reference here which they premiered at the 1995 super bowl mm-hmm. they were in a commercial directed by gore verbinski as well which i didn't know until wow uh, doing research a good for research reference <laughs> he directed those puppets to a t <laughs> yeah yeah well it <laughs> was also i forgot just how one note they were like well i guess three notes really but uh, uh, but uh, i got it <laughs> but anyway that it's there's a reason why they were they were replaced with talking lizards like uh, four commercials in because i think budweiser realized they didn't have a lot of more room to go with frogs that say budweiser so then they would later introduce these two lizards who were jealous of the frogs but really took over the frogs commercials who would then even get their own novelty album what a rich universe (laughs) it's it's a real extended universe of the budweiser frogs apparently they also got issue uh, some parents were mad that it was like a joe camel effect with the frogs that they were just too cute selling kids beer just just like the bud bowl that we were all addicted to as kids as well but i don't drink bud yeah, no, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's definitely what it was i i, I you know can affirm <laughs> with no no shred of <laughs> non-honesty that it was because of those frogs that i uh decided to sometimes drink beer in high school wow <laughs> only so <laughs> i'm just remember- those frogs just remembering, though, just like with uh, Spuds McKenzie, there was a lot of Budweiser Frog merch. Yeah, there T-shirts was. and little frogs that would say Budweiser. The, the talking frogs. Yeah. God, yeah. Though also, uh, Reed Harrison in our interview talked about how in his original script, he made them the Duff Frogs, and they said Duff, and he was instructed to, like, just do the commercial. Just do it. Like, yeah. make it. Why are we dressing this up? I Let's believe the joke was uh, the first frog would say, duh, and then the, the second two frogs would go, Pff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I like that clever to it but yeah i guess it doesn't, it doesn't read as well you know yeah yeah you have to know what duff is too and as far as i can tell there's not a coors crocodile though you can get a neon sign of coors crocodile on ebay right now if you want to really you get one see it's a snapping it has its snapping jaws next to course if i drink any i i'm not a like teetotaler but if i drink now i'm more of a hard cider person and if i were to have a beer it would not it would not be bud coors or miller i would go up just slightly better than <laughs> that at least get to a Sam Adams or a Blue Moon. <laughs> uh, Stella, that's usually what I'll go. If somebody's got a Stella at a party, I'll be like, fine, I'll have a couple. But so I'm not a big drinker. I, I actually remember that at, at this time when I was in high school, I think 
the the fanciest beer that I could imagine drinking was was Harp was uh, <laughs> the kind of lighter Irish non Guinness beer that you could you know that you could find in whatever little stores that would actually sell to sixteen year olds <laughs> um, and and like whenever we decided to pool our money and either go buy something or or ask a stranger who is walking by or about to go into the store if they would buy us beer because that's also something we did um which i guess is like a very common thing but also happened in new york city if we could get harp it meant we were having like a very very fancy <laughs> yeah my parents would were our hardcore miller light fans they've been mm-hmm. drinking it since as long as i've been aware and uh they would buy like i don't know 40,000 packs at Sam's Club just to have like <laughs> enough beer and not have to go out again. And I would sneak one from time to time. I'm like, oh, I, I hate beer. Mm-hmm. I don't like beer. It wasn't until I'd had other kinds of beer that I realized like, oh no, beer can be good. <laughs> but when my parents would bring home like a six pack of Corona, I'm like, whoa, someone just hit the lottery. Or, yeah, like, fancy time. Yeah. Now, uh, my... yeah, now, I actually still think that beer is not good. Like I don't mm. understand why people drink oh, beer. Oh, I like beer I so much. <laughs> mm. uh, Bob's a beer nerd. I, I'm not pro beer. Now, my, my parents were, we were a Michelob family. That was the main one for them your beer tastes like swill <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's like swill to us it's with only a spine between one of my favorite li- i love that one so much whereas the campfire stories bart doesn't know the half of it on college prices in the 2000s when he talks about maggie i uh, guess maggie would be a millennial yeah yeah if you were to say that Ma- if maggie would be well if she was born in 1990 well if she was born in 87 then she would be 30 now so it, as of season eight if she was born in 95 mm. She would be 23 and out of college. So. Yeah. And she would have crippling debt as well. It's only gotten worse. Oh, so much so. Homer and Bart, they, they have some cute scenes together and even meet an alien. I bring you peace. As a representative of planet Earth, let me be the first to say... It's gone. <laughs> We still don't have any proof. Oh, yes, we do. I got it all on tape. Good work, son. We did it. We did it. And so from this simple man came the proof that we are not alone in the universe. I'm Leonard Nimoy. Good night. Ah, Mr. Nimoy, we have ten minutes left. Oh, uh, uh, fine. (laughs) Let me just get uh, something out of my car. <laughs> I don't think he's coming back. So functionally, the story is over, and they're letting the audience know that. <laughs> yeah, but that, I mean, that's also kind of a fun cliffhanger to leave you with the act, too, of like, well, we just ended our story. Where are we going next? Stay tuned. Like, uh, But also the squeaky voice teen, his reaction, like, I don't think he's coming back. <laughs> the, uh, I always like when he, the squeaky well, voice teen is in over his head on yeah. something. <laughs> it's happening again. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and I love the uh, I love the Foley's on the, on the Nemo escape mm. uh it's it's perfect it's like the timing of it and just the sound of like the running away footsteps i, I really Car don't door slam i really reaching acceleration is, is just amazing i really don't mind them reusing this joke but it happened a lot on the uh, gina reese stuff of the running away and the driving away in the car yep, yeah. including homer's brain did that once i think yeah that's right yeah i mean it's a funny joke and it always makes me laugh because it's so like a character is trying to cover up leaving but you hear mm-hmm. them peeling out <laughs> i i love that i think it comes to from them being guys who want to get out of work poorly and they're like um i just 
gotta go over here. I feel I think that had a lot of act outs in the room as well when they were writing the show, and so that's why we'd come up so much. We'll actually see that this season in Grade School Confidential when uh, Edna Krabappel and Skinner are at the movies, and Skinner pretends to get popcorn. Car <laughs> keys, right. car keys, car keys. <laughs> right. Uh, also, speaking of jokes repeated, actually in the second season at the Fat Camp in the, uh, the Critic, as they, I was just gonna say this. Yeah. Right, when Jay and his son are at a campfire, he also accident. The father accidentally puts one foot in a campfire and then starts screaming in pain. In that case, he set the entire forest on fire, though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was more dangerous in that case, but it was it was cute. The acting on Homer, just his screaming, it's always funny to hear Homer scream. And their celebration too. It's it's a cool little joke too when you see the camcorder and just the property of Ned Flanders on it, just because mm-hmm. the Simpsons. No one could have the Simpsons couldn't afford a camcorder back then. I mean, then. It, it sells the joke, but unrealistically, everything has a giant tag that says "Property of Ned Flanders" on it. <laughs> it's a bit much. Yeah, sure. yeah, I, I get it. It's funny. Yes, yeah. If I may tell tales of the Simpsons family VHS, I messed up the pause. On we this really one. need like an in- dramatic intro with like uh, like ominous music or something. It should be the X Files theme. Yeah, I, I'm going to insert that here. But the um, on this one, when he says, I don't think they're coming back, I paused it wrong. And so it was always like, when I, the, in my main memory of this episode, it's, I don't think he's... And then it's just the next and that's scene. Another <laughs> installment of Henry Gilbert's Tales of the Tape. God, Henry, your hubris as a as a young man frustrates me to no end. I know. I well, and especially now, I'd only want to see those old commercials. I'd You'd probably want... get an ad for like Donkey Kong Country or something. <laughs> no, wait, Donkey Kong Country two. Uh, February ninety seven. Yeah. No, oh no, no, no. whoa, three. whoa. Well, We're, three would have been old. We're out of Donkey Kong Country at this point. <laughs> now I think it would be. Uh, Mm, Tekken 2? Maybe. How about an ad for, let's say, Star Fox 64? Sure, yes. (laughs) Uh, But so when we come back from the break, we get to see that Homer's videotape is not being trusted by everybody yet. It's still uh, encounter of the blurred kind, as Kent puts it. Uh, I also like that he fires a guy on air (laughs) there, too. That was uh, He's the unprofessional one, yeah. I I enjoy Brockman being too clever by half. It's like, E.T. phone home. Homer Simpson, that is. Uh, And, uh, well, and speaking of things that, like, instantly aged, the joke about Cher, Sonny and Cher, like, Sonny would be passed away within a year of this episode. Mm. He would have his uh, skiing accident. I gotta say, rich people, don't ski or think you can fly planes. It's always a mistake. <laughs> you are not immortal. You. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like this like very eerie, X-Files-ish, mm. prescient version of things to come. They do a Sonny Bono reference, and then it ends with keep watching the skis. So like, <gasps> oh I don't know, things are messed up here. Things are messed Whoa. up in this episode. I never thought of that, but you're right. Those, those people who make the videos about Simpsons predicting 9-11, they should be doing that conspiracy. And people say that our show kills celebrities. <laughs> I hope David Duchovny and Jillian Anderson live long, happy lives after uh, after we record this. Uh, actually, yeah, let's that's play. it. You've killed them. You've no. doomed them. Went <laughs> share too. She was she was just in a movie. Everybody loves her. Tonight on Eyewitness News, a man who's been in a coma for twenty three years wakes up. Does Sonny and Cher still have that stupid show? No, uh, she won an Oscar, and he's a congressman. Good night. These types of jokes have only increased. I, I mean, I think I see this tweet every day, and it's funny, but it's also like, yeah, I know. If I told me 
20 yeah. years ago who our president would be and that Dennis Rodman was making inroads into North Korea, I would be like, you're a crazy person. Go away. Yeah. yeah I, was, I was actually trying to think of like what the 23 year, you know, from then difference would be. Right. So it was like, you know, there at Sonny and Cher and, you know, I guess 23 years after this episode would be 2020, which, you know, right. You'd have to be like Leonardo DiCaprio's won two Oscars and Trump is running <laughs> for re-election yeah. As uh, yeah I mean back to back to the future the whole joke of Marty telling Doc that Ronald Reagan is president he's yes. like the TV actor but it's like we, you could make a reboot of that movie now and have the new Marty telling the new Doc that Trump is president Yeah, and then Doc would just take his own life because honestly wouldn't you <laughs> I I think so I definitely he'd just would. drive the DeLorean into an ocean yeah <laughs> and what's what is the point yeah. why did we do any of this this burn the constitution forget it I also love Homer getting asked question about the alien here. Will it appear again this Friday? The entire Channel 6 news team will be there, except for Phil, the boom mic operator, who's getting fired tomorrow. <coughs> Very unprofessional, Phil. Yeah. Well, Lise, what do you think about the alien now? I think there must be a more logical explanation, and I think the people of this town aren't going to be won over by three seconds of videotape. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to answer any questions you have about the alien. Any questions at all? Dr. Hibbert? Yes, is the alien carbon-based or silicon-based? Mm -hmm. Uh, the second one. <laughs> Xylophone. Next question. Is the alien Santa Claus? Uh, yes. Uh, were you on my roof last night stealing my weather vane? This interview is over. Dr. Hibbert has quite a few alien-related questions in this episode. <laughs> he's right at the forefront asking those questions. Yeah, he's, it's, it's yeah he, he really well. He's you know he is a doctor. So. It's true. <laughs> and suddenly, from out of nowhere, Lisa just like enters this episode to uh, save it at the yeah, end. She's kind of scully in this episode, but only for about forty seconds. They they don't add only to when it really matters. Yeah, I also, oh. I love how uh, uneven Barney is when he's asking if the alien is Santa Claus. He's extra drunk <laughs> and. Uh, you know, comparisons to the Sherry Bobbins episode in the future, he mistakes an alien for Santa Claus here. In the Sherry Bobbins episode, he mistakes uh, her for Superman. Classic Barney jokes. I was just thinking, though, one of the things the X-Files did was, I believe it was called the Scully effect. Have you heard of this? No. And I that haven't. it encouraged women and girls of that era. There was more options out there in terms uh, of like what you could do. You could be a scientist or an X-Files lady or whatever else. It broadened the spectrum for possibilities <laughs> of young girls. I'm not kidding. This yeah. is real. No, you could be a medicine woman for crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean Scully Scully was shown as the equal on that show. Only only about half the time was David Duchovny right about things or or Mulder was right about stuff. I I didn't know. I did not hear of that Scully effect. Yeah, that's it's real. Cool. No, Jillian, <laughs> it's, it's, real. it's real. Believe me, folks, it's real. <laughs> the truth is out there. <laughs> that's a real fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I mean Jillian Anderson, she's been really cool lately as well. Like she uh publicly came out and just like, yeah, I would not do the new X-Files unless they paid me equal of David Duchovny. They had offered her originally half his pay. Oh, come on. Which, I look, equal pay for that, movie that's stars. That's the real Scully effect. <laughs> I mean, equal pay for movie stars is one of, like, I, I'd rather I'd rather fight for 15 than, than movie star pay, but, hey, at least, you know, that's better. It's good. It's 
good. So we head back to the woods. Everybody's there. And this is when Leonard Nimoy makes his third appearance. Again, this is, he's in this way more consistently than the X-Files true. characters are. Well, and it's so great because it's it's so meta, right? He's, oh, yeah. he's regaling this story as part of the, the kind of bookended setup. But then he, he like takes off in his car. And then next time we see him, he's actually in the woods in Springfield. And it's just like in Marge versus the monorail in which he's trying to be whimsical, but he actually ends up annoying people. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, he should. Nobody mentions the monorail thing with him. It's just, I think he's even dressed to the same. They didn't change his character design. I think it's the same outfit he wore in the monorail. turtleneck kind of thing? Yeah, which is what he wears in in Search of as well. That's that's casual Nimoy as as opposed to Dr. Spock. (laughs) Uh, But this, goddamn, I love, actually, I'm going to say this next bit is line of the show that's the joke leonard nimoy what are you doing here wherever there is mystery and the unexplained cosmic forces shall draw me near Uh uh-huh hey spock what do you want on your hot dog (laughs) surprise me (laughs) take a look at this lisa you don't see any homer is a dope t-shirts do you we sold those out in five minutes (laughs) don't marge how could you these shirts are 100% cotton. And look at the fine stitching on dope. I'll take two. She's so practical <laughs> that she will buy shirts that insult her husband just because they're high quality. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, there's, a, there's an inherent problem here, obviously, that Homer wants two, but they're already sold out. So unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. he's not going to get any. Yeah. So that joke always bugged me. They actually I, address it in the commentary. I thought it was a joke that Homer is stupid. Like, Homer is mad right, that, sure, sure. that, that ma- he's mad about the shirts. And then Marge tells him she bought the shirts and she yeah. sells them on the shirts. And he goes back and says, I want the shirts, even though he was just informed that they they're don't sold exist. out. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, they're sold out. But so apparently they had originally in the cut, they had the guy saying, I just told you they're sold out. And then he goes, Doe again. Oh, that, I wish they had that tag they on that joke. Kept yeah. That. I don't, yeah. I, we talk a lot about scenes where you can tell they did ADR or changed the line afterwards and yeah I think sometimes you know they their ability to over edit it far more than a, a live action sitcom is both a blessing and a curse on the Simpsons sometimes yeah. they they make choices like that that in hindsight are like yeah that would have been funnier maybe it would have been funnier if that line was and there. in this one they used the extra long opening so they could have used a shorter one and had another minute of content yeah what the heck yeah Leonard Nimoy's surprise me <laughs> And delivery is so great. And that Bart is not impressed that Leonard Nimoy is yeah, just like... Yeah, Bart's, Bart's response is is one of my favorite parts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, like oh, right, it's, Nemo. it's, it's fucking Nimoy again. This He's is back calls. again. I remember him from the well, us on that monorail again with this guy. Uh, you know, when they brought... When they did a new monorail joke in the last season of The Simpsons and brought back the monorail stuff, they have a statue of Leonard Nimoy Aww. in town to celebrate it because he had passed away yeah. by the time that new episode aired. I did so. watch that. They turned it into what, like a shopping A shopping district, thing? but yeah. then somebody accidentally turns back on the monorail and almost runs over everybody. That somehow leads Marge into being the mayor. I like that episode. It was it was a good, of a current Simpsons episode, that was a good one. Oh, and the Close Encounters joke. They also say on the commentary that it is a funny gag that they change one note of it, but that also skirts copyright so they didn't have to <laughs> license the song. So it's, it's, it works both ways. You can't even use five notes 
No, apparently wow. not. That hey, according to the commentary anyway, that's that's you would think they could do that. But uh, and so when the alien appears, I also love the just the one half a second of Leonard Nimoy shocked and dropping his hot dog. It's so funny looking. <laughs> Any picture of Leonard Nimoy is hilarious in this. But then the alien is revealed. I bring you love. Uh, is that the love between a man and a woman or the love of a man for a fine Cuban cigar. <laughs> I bring you love. It's bringing love. Don't let it get away. Break its legs. <laughs> Wait. You want an alien? This is your alien. Hello, children. I bring you love. It's a monster. Kill it. It's not a monster. It's Mr. Burns. Oh, it's Mr. Burns. Kill it! Kill it! Now, let me explain. Every Friday evening after work, Mr. Burns undergoes a series of medical treatments designed to cheat death for another week. It's very helpful of Smithers to show up and explain all the plot things right there. Probably looking for Mr. Burns. Yes. Well, at this (laughs) point... Well, I think he probably knows that he wanders into the woods, and that's where he he winds up, right? He does it every night. It's every Friday night. (laughs) He should be there at the very end of the process to steer him into a car or something. (laughs) You would think by the fourth time it happened, he's like, I'm going to be here at the end just to get you, Mr. Burns. But instead, he runs... Well, that cigar line, too, that takes a very 95 feeling to... Like, cigars are back. They're cool. Cool. It's I, I associate them with the Clinton era and not for the Clinton and yeah. those reasons. My, my parents oddly got into cigars for like three years in the nineties. I'm like, what is it? What's this humidor doing here? My my dad always he so my dad smoked until around when I was born, though he actually stopped talking to an aunt of mine because that aunt told him he shouldn't smoke in front of a baby, and no woman's telling him what to do with the mm. cigarettes. Uh, but then he transitioned into chewing tobacco and then in the the 90s when cigars became cool he dropped chewing tobacco and moved on to cigars it's like smoking five cigarettes at once <laughs> <laughs> well basically well, uh, yeah. hibber's per, per, like pronunciation of the word cigar is yes. i think what really sells that uh, and he's moment so tickled by his own question he's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know he's admitting to a crime too because yeah. it's a cuban cigar it's That's not right. just anyone speaking of uh, king of the hill earlier I, there's a great joke in which i forget who gives it to hank hill but someone gives him a cuban cigar to smoke like you know as a treat like here he goes like, oh it's from cuba let me just destroy that for you right here <laughs> <laughs> i love that one. yeah uh, all- but also seinfeld had a whole kind of cuban cigar plot line as well oh yeah and then they found out they were d- actually dominican and they yeah. weren't as cool to them anymore they were fake cuban cigars if i hear one plot point of a seinfeld even though i haven't watched it in like a decade one plot point i'm like oh yeah the entire episode unfolds to me from the- <laughs> <laughs> right. i also love like this smartness of si- the Springfield is a mob. They're like, break its legs. They all immediately like, yep, got to break its legs. It's going to run away. Yeah. Already have pitchforks. <laughs> so I wish there had been a little more setup for Lisa being the one to reveal it. They do have a reading junior skeptics and her being skeptical in two other scenes, but maybe a little setup of her saying like, I'm here to prove this isn't an alien. Yeah, that would have been nice. Then we get the scene of all the ways they are having him cheat death, and it's a fun Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah, I love it, especially how they're like shoving around and like and like mm-hmm. stretching him out and flattening him. 
I have to imagine this is the stuff that like Rupert Murdoch and Henry Kissinger go through oh like my every God. week to not die, to, to be 900-year-old monsters. They have to sleep in just giant goo vats, right? <laughs> I would think so. Just floating in goo for 12 hours a day? <laughs> that's why I feel like that's not going to happen to our current president, because he likes garbage food too much. These the one, he won't, I, I, can, I can pray he doesn't live to 100 like mm. the other guys. I can only hope. His doctors are very like Riviera-esque. Yes, they are, Dr. They Dan, really you know? are. I was going to, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I was at first going to say that Mr. Burns can afford better than Dr. Nick, but Trump has his insane doctors who do nothing for him. Trump knows all about the Chocotastic food group. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And also, if you need that kind of like conveyor belt death cheating work, it's clearly like a private clinic. I mean, when he leaves, it says cash only on the door. Uh He's not going to his regular doctors for this. I love his happy, like, stoned walk of like, la da da. It's, it's so cute looking. It's hilarious. The giant so pupils, yeah. Yeah. We get the little wrap up here with not just a happy ending, but a song as well. And now that I'm back to normal, I don't bring you peace and love. I bring you fear, famine, pestilence, and. I'm for a booster! Good morning, starshine. The earth says hello. You twinkle above us, we twinkle below. Good morning, starshine. You lead us along. Well, you said you'd bring the peace and love, and it looks like you did it. <laughs> I'm proud of you, homie. Thanks, Marge. So concludes our tale. I'm Leonard Nimoy. Good night, and keep watching the skis. Uh, skies. Now, I didn't know that song was from the musical Hair until I looked it up for this episode. And also, as we pointed out earlier, the Sherry Bob's episode has a titular song, Hair yeah, from Hair. that's right. And I've only heard Hair referenced a few times in media. I just know it's the play with some nudity in it. Mm. And I was reading about it on Wikipedia, and it's like, unlike most musicals that have 10 songs, Hair has 30. I'm oh, like... Oh, uh, yeah, no. I, I mean, I, I actually kind of grew up on the original cast album of Hair. Was it like um, a five-disc set? I love it. I, it, is, it is, I think, a remarkable piece of art of theater the politics of it then obviously it's you know hippie 60s but it's it's way deeper in its um kind of anti-war and civil rights messaging uh as as one would expect but actually reviewing it even now it's 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 something i've actually um kept up with for my entire life i really interesting now Um, but um if you if you uh even listen to it or watch it now the politics of it are so resonant uh Mm. to be almost really kind of fatalistic and demoralizingly depressing because about about race um, and about war and about corruption and about attacks on on, on people's identity and their and their worth and um, the kind of militarism of, of of government is is so still exactly now and so for them to end with with this actually, not only is it a you know great hair reference, which for me even at the time I thought was great, mm-hmm. but I actually think it's really amazing that they really wound up doing the let's end with a song like a full maybe year and a half before something about Mary 
uh, ended mm, with okay. uh, Build Me a Buttercup. Yeah. And years and years and years before 40 Year Old Virgin ended with another hair song. You know, I, I just think like to, to actually look at that timeline, it's like the something about Mary ending is it, it was so iconic that just at the end of this absurd story, everyone just kind of breaks into song. Um, and yet the Simpsons had done it uh, a, a full year and a half earlier. I think now every bad movie does that, where it's like, let's <laughs> sing a song over the credits. But yeah, actually, I didn't know that much about hair. All I know is that I get furious when a movie is longer than 90 minutes. <laughs> so seeing that hair has 30 songs, I'm like, how long am I sitting through this? <laughs> no, but the songs, but a lot of the songs are about a minute and a half. Okay. I urge everyone listening. <laughs> That's, you know. Uh, after, the... you, after you go on eBay and buy your Coors Crocodile neon sign, <laughs> Um, immediately, immediately listen to all of the original cast album of, of Hair. I, I honestly cannot stress that enough, and that is that is not a joke. I want to hear people's stance on Hair in the comments, you both know, actual Hair and the musical. Actually, what I want to say about Hair, I, I've been highly lied to about Hair, but I barely remembered. I think I did watch the 70s film production of it eventually. I've never seen a you know stage production of it, but all that it, the jokes about it on sitcoms would be about none of those themes. It was just about everybody gets naked in yeah. that. Which is like a, a complete right-wing gloss over of, of what that show is actually about. Mm. Yeah, as someone who who has has loved it for my entire life, my my mother actually used to sing her 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 two sons to sleep with the song Sodomy the <laughs> wow. And so like, you know, I, this is this is in my this is in my blood. I love it. I um, actually when I was in when I was in college, I was in the band for a live uh, version of it. I actual stage mounted production uh, of hair I'm a, I'm a drummer so I played drums in it and I didn't even have to look at the at the you know music because I knew it so well um, wow. that I could just play along and it was it was a, it was a thrill and I've actually seen it live there was an amazing production that was done in Central Park 10 10 years ago actually almost exactly 10 years ago on 911 of oh. 2008 okay uh, i saw it in, in central park under the stars and it was an amazing experience actually especially coming at the end of the of, of the bush you know oh, w God. administration with all the war and all the discrimination and all the kind of horrible stuff that had happened and kind of going into an election where it was pretty much guaranteed that obama was going to win and i was not an obama fan i didn't kind of believe the hype even then but but still kind of seeing an end to the bush era as a whole and watching hair which you know is 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 about war and and kind of so much so much else seeing that era come to a close and so to experience that live at, at that time was actually really great so it's just just another reason why everyone needs to fucking listen wow. to hair I, I had no idea Nemo was this big hair fan. Unfortunately, no. hair fan, apparently. unfortunately, no, no. Your, your enemies will use this information to destroy you. <laughs> Leftist okay commentator likes famous nude play. <laughs> yeah. Guess. Uh, see, I did know some of these songs just because I listened to oldie stations a lot as a kid. And so the, the covers of these that were popular as well, like I'd heard. So I, I knew Good Morning Starshine, which is a great song. And you can really hear Nancy in the singing of this here. Too. She, yeah. she's oh, yeah, she really belts it out. And uh, Mike Reese on that uh, on our opposing podcast, our rival yes. podcast, he was pointing out that Leonard Nimoy was just like, I know what you want me to do. Yeah. I'm the Bilbo Baggins guy. I know. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, everybody does the Shatner singing thing, but I dare say that the ballad of Bilbo Baggins and Highly Illogical are funnier bad songs than Shatner songs. They're they're way funnier, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know. I maybe maybe it's because Shatner 
Turner's Twitter account has been taken over by an alt-right nutcase, but, or that's just, it's not William Shatner. It's an alt-right dude who controls this thing. But that's, anyway, that sucks. I, that's about right. I love hearing the Balda, the Balda Bilbo Baggins is a fun song. We've played it before on here, the last Nimoy appearance. Mm-hmm. So, but look at, and uh, look up Highly Illogical because it's a novelty song sung by Spock. When Star Trek fans had no more Star Trek than the three seasons of it, they would buy anything that would be tangentially related to it. Yeah, and it's it's pretty great that everyone really joins in here. There's a there's a great cast that's been assembled in this in this uh, field in, in outside Springfield or in Springfield, wherever it may be. So many great people are there. Obviously, we hear from from Willie and Hibbert. I think Otto is around. Largo's <laughs> around, but then also Chewbacca's there and yeah. Mulder and Scully, who don't say anything, but they are <laughs> definitely uh, joining in to the uh, to the sing along. And I'm sure the actors were not singing for this part. <laughs> no, but it's a clever way to wrap it all up too, just to bring everybody back together to sing a song and also to have that tiny bit of heart that they like to have in endings where Marge just says like, I'm proud of you, Homer. Mm-hmm. Yay. Like he did it. He, he got approval. So you get, you get an emotional type of climax too. this episode. There are some weak points to it and you can definitely feel like that it was written in 1995 and aired in 1997. That said, I, there are so many hilarious parts of the, the bus that wouldn't slow down is just, that's an all time yeah. gag is too. I really enjoy it. I, I still enjoy it. Like you said, there are some weak points that we pointed out. I also feel like it is this weird kind of speed bump in the middle of like a much tonally different road that we're driving on lately yeah. but it's fun and i like the x-files uh cameos and lots lots of great memes came out of this uh, oh, yeah. everlasting jokes any final thoughts on this episode nima i don't know I, f- I feel like i could probably talk about this one episode for another three hours but um <laughs> because I, I i really remember watching it at the time that it that it aired and loving it then and and still loving it now you know we didn't even touch on the amazing apollo creed joke okay. All right. yeah. yeah he built the rocket went to the moon single-handedly <laughs> built the rocket and went to the moon what was his name apollo creed you know you don't want beer beers for dads or kids with fake ids that was a line that i actually put on my senior yearbook page wow daring the the following year so apparently that was very resonant for me this this episode really is very close to my heart i have have always thought it was a top episode i love pointing out all the kind of missteps it is definitely from 1995 not early 97 in the in, in kind of all of its references but really brings me back it's one of the most nostalgic episodes for me and you know with with all the references you know we didn't even mention all, uh, the shining reference the all work and no play mm-hmm. kind of scrolls on the on, on the screen there's just so much there's just so much in there it's, and and it's rapid fire references that you know i love and really just kind of reminds me of a time when i was uh, living at home, going to school, doing what, what I was doing, drinking Zima and, 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 and taping Simpsons episodes and, off TV as they aired on my on my VCR. So uh, thank you guys so much for oh, uh, yeah. for asking me to do this particular one because I, I love it. We loved having you on the show, Nima. We'll let you get back to listening to Hair, which I assume you do uh, most of the time when you're not podcasting. But oh, yeah. before you no, go... Every time you guys have been talking, <laughs> I've been tuning out and listening to Hair. Oh, wow. You're very skilled. But before you go, Nima, can you talk about Citations Needed, how to listen to the show, where to find it on Patreon, how people can support you? We're Again, we're big fans of the show. Big, big fans. Absolutely. So uh, everyone can uh, check out Citations needed through whatever podcast platform you happen to enjoy, whether that's Stitcher or Libsyn, it's on SoundCloud, iTunes. You can follow the show at Citations Pod 
uh, on Twitter, citations needed on Facebook, and we are completely independent, not billionaire funded in any way. And so all of our funding uh, to keep the show going comes from our listeners through uh, the Patreon platform. So please, uh, if you are so inclined and you dig the show and you want to uh, get some extra content as well, please do support the show on patreon.com, citations needed podcast. And that's with Nima Shirazi and Adam Johnson. Also, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention there is there is a, a rival pod, podcast called Citation Needed, um, which I, in full disclosure, they had before we did, uh-huh. and we just didn't uh, do enough research, yeah, uh, I, which I, actually uh... goes against the entire Citations Needed <laughs> brand. But uh, that said, make sure you are, uh, if you want to uh, support the show, you're supporting Citations needed with an S citations, multiple citations needed podcast, uh, and that citation needed. Please uh, do listen, tell us what you think. And thank you guys uh, so much for having me on the show today. It's been amazing. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Thanks again for listening to Talking Simpsons. In case you don't know, we are a Patreon supported podcast. It pays for our modest lifestyles and it allows <laughs> us to make so many great podcasts. And if you want to help support the show and get bonus stuff, go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons there you can find out uh, all the bonus stuff we're doing at the five dollar level it's our most popular level you can get exclusive series you can hear tons of interviews we're about to record our 13th or 14th interview as of this 14th, recording yeah yep. wow we're doing a lot over there we also have monthly community podcasts and let me think what else uh season wrap-ups deleted scene specials sometimes we'll just make a special for fun for our patrons because we like them so much if you want us to like you <laughs> go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons henry can you please tell our uh, fantastic listeners what are two pieces of bonus content that only patrons can hear that are new and cool and good well you definitely listen to our most recent interview which was with mark kirkland yeah the director of over 80 episodes of the simpsons no more prolific a director on the show than he we talked to him about a lot of cool stuff and a little bit of a throwback but we talked to the writer of this episode reed harrison a ton about the making of this episode back last year and that's also only available in full on patreon.com slash talking simpsons just like nema we are not supported by billionaires we are fan supported and every dollar even if you can just give a dollar it really helps us out but five bucks gets you access to so many things you get and if you sign up if you haven't signed up yet you get an rss feed you can just plug into anything and it will give you all the episodes right there on whatever your podcast listening device is mm-hmm. so yes again that's patreon.com slash talking simpsons if you can't afford five bucks a month even a dollar a month would be helpful if all of our listeners gave one dollar we'd be living in solid good houses and driving our rocket cars around uh, the, the streets of berkeley uh, but thank you anyhow uh, as for me i've been one of your hosts Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. I have another podcast by the way. It's a classic gaming podcast called Retronauts. You can find that at Retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast machine. We've been going on since 2006, so I'm sure we talked about something you like. If you like video games, and you better like video games. They're great. So check it out and uh, yeah, listen and enjoy. Henry. I'm H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter. You can follow me there for updates on this podcast and any new things we're doing. Not to mention my sometimes political thoughts and I definitely retweet Nima a number of times and their podcast as well. But thanks again for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for the Twisted World of Marge Simpson. See you then.
what's with the glowing? Um, I'll field that question. A lifetime of working in a nuclear power plant has given me a healthy green glow. Left me as impotent as a Nevada boxing commissioner. <laughs>